Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 24th, 2021, including... Xbox Design Lab is back, Sea of Thieves A Pirate's Life is now available, Sonic and Disney just so happened to make the news this week, and more. If you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday night, the night I record the show, which I know you're not because I haven't uploaded it yet, then I just want to wish a very happy birthday to Sonic the Hedgehog, who is turning 30 as of today. That's right, our little boy in blue is now 30 years old. He's only uh, only six years younger than his big brother Mario, who of course is better than him at everything except in that OST, because hot damn does Sonic have good music. But anyway, uh, happy happy birthday to Sonic. You know I love you. But also, you know, if, if you're not listening to this on Wednesday night when the show isn't even finished recording, edited, or uploaded yet, uh, then you're probably listening to this on Thursday, which is the day the show goes live, in which case I do want to wish you a very happy Windows 11 reveal day. So uh, the day this goes live, Microsoft is out there saying Windows 11 probably looks really minimalist, probably... Looks very stripped back and basic with lots of fun animations, pretty similar to iOS, I assume, because they're chasing that mobile market. But that's okay. That's good. I'm sure it looks great. I'm looking forward to using it. And, oh, and lastly, um, happy birthday to my brother, Josiah, who listens and comments to the show regularly. It is your birthday as well. So, Sonic, Windows 11, and my brother, Josiah. Happy birthday, anniversary reveal, whatever. Let's get on with the show. Guys, you know how we kick off this show. You know, you know what this is. This is Xbox On. It's the podcast about everything Xbox-related, except Xbox news and commentary. We talk about video games. We talk about mostly gas stations and convenience store food items and fast food and uh, sometimes Disney theme parks and things like that. Very relevant Xbox news. Usually we start out the show with corrections, and this is the part where I go, we don't have any because I don't make mistakes. Well, actually, I do make mistakes, and this week I made some mistakes. So let's jump into our corrections to kick off this week's episode. Now, I've said in the past, when it comes to Xbox On, don't be afraid about upsetting me by being like a little too tongue-in-cheek and, and worrying about how it comes off or how it's interpreted. Don't worry about bullying me a little bit and worrying how, you know, thinking, I wonder how he takes it or whatever. You know, don't don't worry about what you say in the comments. You can be pretty out there and still get read. As long as, and I always say, as long as you're not being hateful and harmful to one another. Well, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because last week something happened and Mojo, good good guy Mojo, had to take me to task on a little hypocrisy of mine. He says, so Jesse, the Disney Don Juan de Rosa, I would first like to comment in reply on Wes H. calling me a loser for helping you out with that fact check uh, confirming you were right on said fact, but that you would go against your rules of attacking each other on this family-friendly podcast I like and appreciate being a small part of your show weekly, and now I feel sad and hurt for being called a loser. So in closing, I will leave the ball in your court, Mr. DeRosa, and I hope you do the right thing. P.S. As a snowboarder, I'm pretty pumped for Shredders. It actually looks dope. Well, Mojo, I'm glad that we know Shredders will at least be selling one copy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure that game will actually do pretty well. It's just, it's not a game for obviously the hardcore nerdy gamer market, but it it definitely, there's definitely an audience for games like that, and I'm Glad you're looking forward to it. So that's first things first. But Mojo, you got me. You know, last week, Wes 
responded to you. You fact check. You you confirmed my assumption that that Call of Duty, the Activision sells more copies of Call of Duty in a year than you take breaths because Call of Duty sells so well. And you fact checked me and confirmed that, that was indeed correct. And then Wes H responded to your comment and said, "Loser." And I just kind of shrugged it off and laughed about it because it's pretty funny when you call someone a loser. But here's the thing, Mojo, is you say that you're you're here feeling sad and hurt for being called a loser, and I condoned it by acknowledging that it happened, laughing at it, and moving on as if nothing bad had happened. So this is this is my problem. This is my show. It's my responsibility to make sure, you know, attention is drawn to bullying and things of that nature. So Wes. Wes, I know you're out there. If you can come up here, you're in trouble, mister. You gotta... For, well, for, I guess I'm technically in trouble because I let, I let everyone down by letting this slip. So I, I apologize, Mojo. But enough about me. Let's let's focus on Wes, the real enemy here. So, so Wes, you're in trouble, uh, mister. You, you've called Mojo a loser, and he's not a loser. In fact, we know he's a very, very nice guy. So you, now you gotta make up for your wrongdoing. So please, you have... Wes, I'm giving you two episodes. So that's two weeks to reach out to Mojo or respond to one of his comments, any any comment on any episode, fine because it will notify me no matter what if you if you comment, but reach out to Mojo and say, "Hey, I'm sorry because it's not it's not okay to call a loser. someone a loser. You know, it's it's one thing when, you know, we're slinging around F-bombs and I'm making racy jokes about what I, what I say about Jared, the pedophile from Subway last week. I don't even want to get in on that. So it's it's one thing when we're making those kinds of jokes, but to call your fellow X-Bot a loser is just not acceptable. So Wes, please do come up here and say you're sorry. And if you don't, Wes, because I, I did give you a two-week span to get this task done. So you're probably wondering, or what? You know, like, oh, what are you going to do? Well, Wes, wild, wild Wes, here's what I'll do. I will find out where you live. And I will go to your house and crack open every can of Mountain Dew in your entire home, in the, in the whole house. And I will empty them out and replace them with diet caffeine-free Mountain Dew. I know. The fucking worst. And I mean it. I'm, I'm dead serious when I say this. So you have two weeks to say you're sorry to Mojo or... Your voltage and your and your Dew SA and your Baja Blast are going to start tasting like caffeine-free Diet Mountain Dew real fast. So get to it, boy, because there's there's no tolerance, zero tolerance for uh, picking on one another in this audience. So thank you for bringing that to my attention, Mojo. I am very sorry. And Wes, think twice next time, huh? All right. So that was the first correction. Now there's a second correction. I know two two in one week. There's a second correction. Last week when we were going over all the E3 news, uh, we obviously talked about Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life, which is actually now out at the time of this recording. So this is actually mostly just going to be talking about Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life more than anything. But I, I, I need to correct myself here because, or I, or Dead Captain James rather needs to correct me because I was talking about how, you know, oh, dead, oh, oh, oh uh, Pirates of the Caribbean content in Sea of Thieves sounds cool. But, you know, Sea of Thieves is kind of like this directionless game. It's hard. It, it doesn't really have any story content or anything like what does that mean? Does it mean just like Jack Jack Sparrow, like skins and costumes and accessories and shit for your pirate? Or like, how are they going to add story content in a game that doesn't have story content? So Dead Captain James reaches out and says, hey, dumbass, you stupid sack of shit. No, he doesn't say that because he's not like you, Wes. He doesn't insult people. He says, I'm literally playing Sea of Thieves currently. The story, uh, sorry, I'm literally playing Sea of Thieves current story campaign while listening to you rant about how there is no story or direction in Sea of Thieves, LMAO. 
So I had to look into this, and yes, Dead Captain James continues. He says, they added 10 story quests two years ago. I'm catching up on that content right now. See if these is relaxing and intense AF at the same time. P.S. I also love solving puzzles. So Dead Captain James, I had to look this up. You're absolutely right. They're called Tall Tales. These were added two years ago, so about it was the big content update that happened a year after the game came out. Um, they introduced Tall Tales, which are literally story content. Now... In my defense, you know, because I went back and I actually played the first of the 10 Tall Tales. These are each like, they're pretty lengthy. They're each like an hour or so long. And I played the first one and I, a couple things here, because this is kind of getting into the what I've been playing, but whatever. We, we'll talk about it now because new content anyway. This game is very relevant at the moment. So Tall Tales are actually fucking awesome. It's, it, it is... The closest thing to what I've wanted Sea of Thieves to be this whole time, um, and it's just been here available for like almost two years, and I just my tiny brain just wasn't aware. So, and, and the frustrating thing is there have been so many. I feel like this happens once every six months. I download Sea of Thieves. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking get into this game because I love Rare. I'm obsessed with the art style of this game. It looks so beautiful. The art direction, the graphics. I love the way it looks. I love Rare. I want to see them succeed. I want them to have a cool game again. And also, pirates are fucking awesome. Because when Sea of Thieves was first announced, that first time we ever got the teaser trailer, my expectation was like, oh, cool. This is Destiny, but with pirates. And it's an Xbox exclusive. I'm so beyond up for this. This game is so, like, calling my name. I was so very excited for it. And then when, you know, closer to launch, and then when it came out, it very quickly became obvious that that's not all what Sea of Thieves is at all. Like, in, in, in any regard. And it's taken a long time, but like I said, every six months or so, I will download this game, I'll try to play it for a night by myself, or I'll get online with my, my brother or something, we'll try to play this game, and every time I walk away saying, this game has a lot of cool ideas, I love the way it looks and feels, I love the idea of a rare pirate Xbox exclusive game, that's so fucking cool, but this game is just so boring and directionless, and ugh, I don't know what to do with it, and then, lo and behold... These tall tales have been in the game for fucking two years, and I didn't even know. And so, still, I want to say, shame on Rare and Xbox first for, like, making this such a unadvertised, hard-to-figure... Because it's, like, it's not like you boot up the game, and it's like, click, click on story mode, and you click on story mode, and there's a cutscene that's like, long ago, pirates ruled the world, blah, 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 now you gotta do this. And then there's, like, some direction arrow on a quest log telling you to go to this tavern to accept a quest. It's not that direct, like, a, like most games. It's, it's very obscure and hidden. It's like, you have to go to an out, out, outpost, and you have to know that all outposts have the same shit, even if it's a different outpost. And you have to know that this one guy in the back of the tavern in every outpost is the guy who hands out the missions for the story content and you have to click on the book and throw your dagger at it to accept the challenge it's like it's obscure like you have to you have to either be learning this shit as it's happening in real time or you have to be like referring to the internet to learn how to play the game so i will still say see if these to its benefits at times and mostly to its detriment still suffers from this issue of like the game doesn't tell you anything. You just have to explore, make up your own fun, and figure it all out. And when it works, it's incredible. It's some of the best gameplay I've experienced in so long. It's some of the most original gameplay I've experienced in so long. But when it doesn't work, it just turns off millions and millions of fucking potential players because it's really obtuse and hard to figure out and really unwelcoming to newcomers. And I know that's been a, a struggle for this game for years, and that's kind of what they've been trying to slowly address is how can we keep the intent 
and our creative vision intact with this game while also making it more accessible and inviting the new players and explaining how the game is supposed to work. So I, I get that's always been the struggle with this game, but man, oh man, it's still a struggle, but I, I, but I must say, yes, Dead Captain James, I was totally wrong. This game has story content, uh, the tall tales, and it's incredible. I've only played the first one so far, but it took me maybe an hour and a half to do it because I'm pretty slow and I had to refer to a guide and kind of figure out some of the puzzle solving and stuff. But it's very cool. It's not like it's not like a cutscene happens and there's dialogue and then you're sent on a quest and you follow the, the map or anything. It's like it's literally like a pirate scavenger hunt. Like if I were 12 and I had more free time and patience, this game would be beyond amazing because it really is just like you get this book that has like a riddle and you have to kind of like solve what it's saying. And then it like makes a reference to some obscure island. So then you go onto your ship and you check your map and you're like, oh, I think these are the coordinates of what the book is referencing. And you sail there and you're like, it says something about sunken treasure. So you dig in the water and you and you point east or like north northwest or whatever direction the book references. And then you find buried treasure underwater and then that that treasure gives you another clue that connects to the book you got prior that that connects another dot so now it sends you to a different island where you have this puzzle and you gotta do some fucking Laura Croft Tomb Raider shit and 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 then you get this piece of the puzzle and it's very very cool in that regard when it's clicking when you get it when you understand it it's so satisfying it is so so very cool but man oh man it, it usually never is and so I'm sorry to keep this going so long because I know to to a lot of you you're probably like yes Jesse this is how Sea of Thieves works welcome to 2018 uh, where have you been all this time so uh, I'm sorry if this sounds very redundant to you a possible avid Sea of Thieves player, but to me this is all new, and so I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited that in some way, for the very first time, Sea of Thieves is clicking with me. I'm not I'm not like down the rabbit hole like I was when I first got into Destiny or anything, but I'm intrigued. I want to come back. I'm not deleting the game off my hard drive. I'm not giving up like I do every six months when I try this game. I'm, I'm in. I want to finish these tall tales. I'm coming back this weekend when I have free time. I'm, I'm jumping in for more, but here's the thing. Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life, just came out. It launches. It launched yesterday at the time I'm recording this. Oh my god, dude! They na- <laughs> they nailed it. So the cool thing about a pirate's life is it works very much the same way as Tall Tales, but it's a little more guided. It's just a little more direct and on the nose. So when you boot up the game, you do select pirate's life from the from the list it's not like you load into the generic game and then try to figure out where to go it's like you can load into pirate's life so it kind of directs you of where to start and then it's a it's similar concept you you go to the specific person on a specific island you find the book you click on it but the game definitely does a, a, a marginally better job at guiding you to like this is where you go this is how you start. And the 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 Pirates of the Caribbean quests, there's only five of them. But again, they're they're pretty lengthy. Most people who've already completed it are reporting that it's like eight hours worth of story content, which is, you know, for a free content update theme to Pirates of the Caribbean, eight hours, that's basically like giving you a free game. It's it's like a full campaign here. So last night I did the first one, so I've got four more to go. And it took me maybe an hour and a half to do it. And oh my god, it was fucking awesome. It was so, so good. So unlike the regular story content in the game, it's a little less puzzly and and you're on your own and connect the dots. I think they try to make it a little more guided just because they know that this content's going to draw in a lot of more casual gamers and newcomers because they want to check out the Pirates of the Caribbean Jack Sparrow game, not so much Sea of Thieves. So I think they understood that and they and they did a good job making it a little more a little more guided and easy to figure out for newcomers. That being said, 
I still totally see the potential for people to boot this up saying, oh my God, I've never played Sea of Thieves before, but this Pirates of the Caribbean content has got me so interested, I gotta give it a try. I could see people being like that, loading it up, getting in there for the first time, and still struggling to figure out kind of what they're doing, because it is still a little obscure. It's You're not given a mini-map with arrows pointing in the direction of the quest. I understand that's really counter to what this game is trying to be, but again, it's it's not for everyone. It's Sea of Thieves... Like like I said, the, the, these are both the strengths and and the weaknesses of this game. Like because when you don't have the game telling you what to do, and you just have to explore and connect the dots and figure it out and think about what the person said and what that book says inside of it and all these little clues and hints, it really does feel like a fun pirate scavenger hunt. And that's like what that's what this game is trying to do at its core, and that's what it succeeds at when you figure that out. The problem is figuring that out. Because it's really, really obtuse and poorly conveyed to begin with. So I, I think the new Pirates of the Caribbean jo- uh, content does a better job at doing that. Still a little unfriendly to newcomers, I think. But man, oh man, uh, that first that first mission, there's a lot more voice acting, a lot more like direct narrative going on. And the whole thing is just paying homage to not only the movies, but the, the theme park attraction. It's, it's like heavily, heavily inspired by the Disneyland original Pirates of the Caribbean uh, ride. And, oh my god, they have the music, they have audio lifted directly from the ride, they have scenes that are greatly inspired by scenes in the ride, It's it feels amazing. It's honestly one of the coolest video game adaptations I've ever seen of something related to a Disney theme park, and I know to some of you may be like, when the fuck did they make a video game about Disney World or anything like that, but there have actually been lots and lots of games that have had content related to Disney theme parks actually maybe more than 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 a lot of people think otherwise but man it's so it's so cool it does such a good job of being really awesome and exciting content for fans of Sea of Thieves fans of Pirates of the Caribbean the movie and fans of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean the theme park attraction and so if you're a fan of all three oh my god you hit the fucking lottery because you'll constantly be like this is Sea of Thieves at its best this game I love but also this is a great reference to a movie series I love but also this is a great reference and homage to a theme park attraction I love so the the more you have ties to each of those three pillars i think the more you'll enjoy this content but nonetheless you could just be one of the three you could be just a sea of thieves fan or just a pirates of the caribbean fan and, and still really enjoy this content i encourage you if, if you're interested in checking this out and you find it a little obtuse trying to figure out how to navigate it how to work it don't be afraid to just look it up on youtube and just kind of follow in the footsteps of like a, a video walkthrough for the first mission or two because i think once you get the idea of what they're doing in in those videos and from referencing guide material and walkthrough material to kind of do your first or second mission i think then you'll get a hang for like kind of the logic of the game that's one of the really difficult things about sea of thieves is, is is a you know it's like far cry is a unique game right it's it's an open world sandbox rpg light whatever game right so it's unique but if you played fallout you can figure out far cry you know if you played dying light you can figure out far cry if you played Horizon Zero Dawn, you can figure out Far Cry. If you've played pretty much every fucking game that anyone wants to make any anymore because everyone just wants to make a giant open-world checkbox game, you can figure out Far Cry. It's unique. It's uniquely Far Cry. It is its own game, but y- you know how it works, right? So that that's the point I'm trying to make. Is sea of Thieves doesn't have an analog. There's no game where it's like, oh, well, if you've played X, then you'll, you'll know Sea of Thieves. It's a pretty similar type of game. There's nothing like Sea of Thieves. It is so of its own category, of its own genre, that I would really recommend if you're if you're trying to get into it but you're having trouble, 
don't be afraid to just use some video walkthroughs or watch some tutorial videos or read some some walkthroughs on the internet because once you see how the other people who are familiar and experienced with the game kind of play it and figure it out, I think then you'll start to pick up on the logic behind the game and then you'll you'll be able to familiarize yourself with, okay, that's what kind of game this is. That's the kind of logic behind it. That's how it kind of works. I had a very similar experience when Destiny 1 first came out in 2014 because, I mean, Destiny... Now it's, you know, it's like we're so familiar with games like Destiny because it was so influential that spawned all these other games that do similar things. But this whole like MMO light half step into an MMO shared world shooter multiplayer game kind of thing was so novel and weird in 2014 when Destiny came out that it took a while for a lot of people to understand like what the fuck is Destiny? And I feel similarly about Sea of Thieves. It is kind of a what the hell is this game? But once you figure it out, if you just had the patience or if you use the proper resources, now, of course, you shouldn't have to do that. That should be Rare's job to make that easier for you. But, you know, whatever. It, I think if you're willing to take the time and the patience to figure it out, it's worth it. As someone who's who's just now getting into Sea of Thieves after like four or five fucking attempts, I, I gotta be honest, It's I'm, I'm glad I gave it another try because I'm really enjoying it. And I think this Pirates uh, content is awesome. The fact that it's not just like, you know, quick, like, here's two fun little missions. All the content in the game maybe takes two hours to do all this, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. The fact that it's not that, it's like, no, no, no. Here's, like, a legitimate, like, full $60 game's worth of campaign content in addition to a Season 3 Battle Pass that you can buy optionally for a cheap price and all these in-game unlockables. It's like, this is a massive update that offers a ton of shit. Like, there is a very hefty amount of content in this update, and I think it's very much worth checking out. So it started out as a correction, turned into I am now a Sea of Thieves fan. Thank you, Dead Captain James. I really, really appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, I was wrong. Glad to have been wrong. There's plenty of story content in Sea of Thieves. It is very much a fun game worth checking out. So guys, that's going to do it for all of our corrections. We haven't even gotten to the comments, and we're already 20 minutes in. Oh, my God. But anyway... You know how comments work. You go over to YouTube.com. You look up Second Best Gaming. That's my YouTube channel. I'm changing my name soon, so don't 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 think about it too much. Second Best Gaming, you find the Xbox On playlist. Click on the latest episode and leave a comment. You can say something really nice, like, Jesse, I'm really glad Sea of Thieves is finally clicking with you. Uh, the fact that you're able to enjoy this game and have fun with you know a game that's meant so much to me over the past few years really warms my heart. Glad to see this community growing and doing better than ever before. Keep up the great work. And I'll be like, oh, man, that's so sweet. Thank you for writing in. Welcome to the show. Or you can say something really mean like, Jesse, I'm a gatekeeper, ellipses. Uh, Sea of Thieves is not for you. Clearly, it didn't click with you the first few times because you're not good enough for Sea of Thieves. Why don't you just stick to Sonic the Hedgehog, you little fucking furry weeb, and uh, you you leave the Sea of Thieves, you leave the thieving and the pirating to the pros, okay? P.S. You smell bad. And then I'll be like, ow. Ow, that really hurts. And I'll stop. I'll think about it. Probably feel like shit. Well, still read the comment because you're allowed to say whatever you want. Guys, leave a comment, drop a comment. You know how it works. We're going to start out with a handful of reactions to last week's episode. Guys, it's the week following E3. Last week's nearly four-hour episode was all about E3. And um, I had, you know, to put it mildly, I had a pretty polarizing opinion on E3 compared to, I think, what the general consensus was, which is that Microsoft or Xbox and Bethesda did a killer job. My reaction was a little more, I'll say, whelmed. (laughs) I wasn't super impressed, but I wasn't horribly let down either. I was just like, okay, it was fine. Yeah, you guys had some reactions, so let's let's jump into those. Uh, Starting with Sam A., who says... I think you took the right approach. Have a long podcast, well-thought-out opinions instead of just a circle jerk about how great Game Pass is. Well done, bro. 
Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate the comment and the kindness there. And uh, as a side note, as I commented, as I responded to you on Twitter or on YouTube, rather, um, I, I'm still open to having that circle jerk, though. So let me know. And then next up, this is a, this is a juicy one. This was happening today when I was putting the show notes together. So Parksy 1972, which I assume is the year uh, you first went to Disney World, which is just one year after it opened. So even though Disney World's getting ready to celebrate its 50th anniversary this year, you're getting ready to celebrate the 49th anniversary of when you went to Disney World. That's my assumption. I could be wrong. Don't don't check me on that. Uh, you say, wow. So when did Jesse turn into a Debbie Downer? Microsoft and Xbox just pulled out the E3 of Dreams or as close or close to it. And Jesse gives it a 6 out of 10. Even if the other presentations were meh, Microsoft smashed it out of the park. Imagine if Xbox pre- Xbox's presentation was in front of a live crowd. You could have lit up the world for a day with the energy and buzz it would have created. But Jesse gave it a 6. If a game is being revealed, then a CGI trailer with no gameplay is totally acceptable. Out of those 30 games shown, 27 are coming to Game Pass and 17 are releasing this year. All right, Parksy. <laughs> All due respect, you're more than welcome to your opinion, and I'm glad you enjoy the... Listen, I'm really glad you enjoy the show. This is what I tried to convey last week. Is I, I don't want to upset anyone, because I know a lot of people were really high on the show, which is all the more reason why I was sad to report that I personally wasn't, was because I was, I was envious of that energy. I wanted to be as excited and high on this as everyone else was. I just couldn't, because there was a couple glaring things for myself that just that were just rubbing me the wrong way. So that's, that's why the six out of 10 is entirely arbitrary. Um, I, I don't fucking know. Like I just, you know, like, like all scores get scaling scores, whatever are, it's just completely arbitrary. You know, if it makes you feel a little better, Parksy, you know, just for you, I'll adopt that old archaic IGN score, that scale, that means literally nothing. And I'll bump it from a 6.0 out of 10 to a 6.3 out of 10. I'll give it a couple brownie points, just to please you, if that if that helps. But no, all joking aside, yeah, man. So listen, I'm not trying to, and I've thought about this even more since, of course, since our our, our last episode. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and try to deny the fact that Microsoft put on a good show. Of course, they put on a good show. Just in the context, in the isolated context of that show, and nothing else. If you have no prior knowledge of what happened in recent years with Xbox or what's to come with Xbox, and you just look at that one E3 presentation in a box in just an isolated silo. Yes, there's no denying Xbox put on a fantastic show. The problem is I can't help but watch that show and think about the last few times Xbox came out on stage at an event or had an E3 presentation or something similar. And the problem is Microsoft and Xbox have been constantly doing this thing for so long now where it's like announce, 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 hype, 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 value, game pass, this, that, you're getting all this, look at this, new reveal, world premiere, First, played on Game Pass, day and date, all this shit. And it's like you're you're being inundated with all this cool stuff. It's flashy, it's awesome, but at some point you gotta ask yourself, where are these fucking games? Because it's like I just feel like, especially recently, we're seeing this Microsoft that's like blow your wad, announce it all, but give none of it. And that sounds bad. Allow me to elaborate. I'm not trying to insinuate that Microsoft's not gonna actually ever release avowed or fable or perfect dark these are all just these are vaporware titles that's not what i'm trying to say at all i i very much believe these games are coming and will arrive on the xbox at some point in the future we don't know when but at some point they'll be there and listen i didn't think fable or avowed or any of those games were coming in 2021 of course not but if you decide to announce a game it's now out there and you have an obligation to continue to keep us updated on that 
If you're not ready to show the game, if the game is not close to being ready to show, if the game's not close to being ready to come out, then don't fucking talk about it. That's that's my thing, okay? Like, I don't need... I don't need fucking Universal to come out and be like, guys, we're making Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift Part 2. That's right. This ignores Fast and Furious 4 through 10, and it just basically pretends that uh, none of those happened, and it's a direct sequel to Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. It takes place in Tokyo. It's 2003. Everyone's lit. We're, We're doing Nokia sliding phones again. It's great, okay? And someone like me will be like, oh my god, a sequel to Tokyo Drift. I'm so excited. And then they're just like, okay, it's coming. Here's a CG trailer of people driving cars in Tokyo. I'm like, okay. And then like two years later, they're just like, all right, it's coming. And then two years later, like, and as a reminder, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift Part 2 is coming out. And it's going to have all the cast from Legally Blonde. Reese Witherspoon or whoever the fuck was in that movie is going to be in Tokyo Drift. We can't wait to talk about it. And then the next year, they finally show it. And then two years later, it comes out. It's like, I don't need that. I don't need to know that. Don't tell me about the fucking game until you're ready to show it. And I guess we've been spoiled about this to different degrees because historically, in the Xbox One days, or at least the early Xbox One days when they had a bigger lineup, and in the Xbox 360 days, usually you wouldn't get an announcement of a game unless it was like 12 months out. Sometimes you'd get a game that's like that's like 24 months out, but usually it's like, if, if they're going to announce a game, you're playing that game in the next 6 to 12 months. And I think that's the way you need to show games. I don't need to be hyped on a fucking game that's five years away. And I'm not stupid. I know when they announce games, especially like Avowed, especially like Perfect Dark, especially like Fable. Those are the three I think of the most. I know those were just CGI trailers for games that were hardly developed. Like, fucking, the initiative was just put together. They're still trying to figure out their staff. They don't even have a full team yet. I, I know we're not seeing Perfect Dark, but... It's like, why the hell are you showing me all this stuff and announcing all this stuff and putting it out there just to distract me with all this other stuff that you're putting out there and announcing? And it's like, listen, man, I want to be told what's happening now. And I guess maybe that makes me a little stupid for being so hard on Microsoft because this year's E3, they were pretty upfront and and straightforward about this is the content you're going to be playing on Xbox in the coming months to 12, you know, to a year. Like, this is the imminent Xbox content. This is the Halo Infinite, the Forza Horizon, the Redfall, which is apparently coming out next year. It's like, uh, okay, fair. It's a lot of content that we're supposed to be getting imminently. So everything I'm complaining about is kind of what this press conference addresses, right? But the thing is, it's like, why do you show all this stuff if you're not going to talk about it? Like, wh- why? You know, it's like people are p- people ask Bethesda every fucking day. Where's Elder Scrolls 6? Where's Elder Scrolls 6? Because Bethesda made a stupid fucking decision three or four years ago to be like, announcing our next game, Starfield. It's like, there's a pretty premature original announcement for Starfield, but they announced it anyway. And we're like, okay. And they're like, and also, Elder Scrolls 6. By the way, this game won't come out until after Starfield. It's a very long ways away. And it's like, okay, in their defense, yes, they set the precedent and they told us what to expect, but again, it's like, why the fuck are you going to announce a game 10 years in advance? By the time Elder Scrolls 6 actually fucking comes out, we're going to be like 10 years removed from its initial announcement. Why are you doing that? No, no one needs that. Like, I'm not trying to get hyped on 10 years from now. Like, I don't need you coming out here and being like, oh, I know how we're going to sell them on an Xbox. Let's announce a game they won't play in for, for, for the next five fucking years. So 
that's my issue is like, I, I get it. I get it. Like the gamers and the console war fanboys. And, and there are certain people who just really like the whole, like inundating people with news and announcements and new and flashy and exclusive. And that works for some people. And I'm, Hey, I'm If it does work for you, more power to you. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, I don't want to be constantly teased with shit. That's like nowhere near ready to go. You know, like, to do my famous thing and bring theme parks into this when they don't need to be brought into this, okay? Disney announced in 2017 that they're building a Tron roller coaster here at Walt Disney World. Tron is one of my favorite movies just because the aesthetic of Tron alone is so fucking cool. And so I've been so hyped for this fucking roller coaster for four years now. For four goddamn years. And Disney is attempting, or seemingly attempting, to break the fucking world record for how goddamn long you can take to build one stupid fucking roller coaster. It's absurd how long it's taken them to make this thing. COVID aside, it's fucking ridiculous. On the other hand, you have Universal just up the road. They're Disney's biggest competitor. These guys started building a motherfucking Jurassic Park roller coaster last summer didn't tell anyone about it. They just started building it. And people are like, so uh, you're building a new ride? And they're just like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And there's just this fucking construction in the middle of a theme park. And they're putting up pillars in a goddamn roller coaster. And no one's heard anything about it. And this was like last summer. This was like 12 fucking months ago. And then a few months later, like when the, when the fucking roller coaster is half built, they're like, by the way, we're building a goddamn Jurassic Park roller coaster and it's going to be awesome. And everyone was like, that's fucking crazy. When's it opening? And they're like, uh, in like next summer, in like six months. And so in 12 months, they went from nothing to building half a roller coaster to announcing it to releasing it. That's fucking awesome. That's how you get people hyped. That's how you get people excited. Meanwhile, it's been four goddamn years. And every time I go to Disney World, I'm like, you sure are building like one quarter of a goddamn Tron roller coaster, aren't you? I can't wait till I'm 47 years old and I can bring my first grandchild on this stupid fucking roller coaster. It's dumb. It sucks. It's just blue balling your clientele and it makes everyone pissed. It sucks. And that's what I feel like Xbox is doing a little bit. And that's why this E3 upset me. It wasn't because I thought Redfall looked like a bad game or or Contraband doesn't sound like a cool game or Halo Infinite disappointed me. None of those things are true. Everything they showed was ranged, in my opinion, from this looks fucking awesome to like, not sure what that is, but I'm intrigued to learn more. Very good showing. But again, I this it's Microsoft's fault that they're the ones who are like, oh yeah, Fable. It's like, well, if, if Fable's four years away, don't fucking tell me now. Tell me in like two or three years. Like, hype it up. Get that hype cycle in a... In a in a controllable and understandable time frame where you have something to tell us about, you have something to show us, so you tell us and you show us, and then we have to wait, but within a reasonable time frame, like six to 12 months. Listen, in six to 12 months, I'm still gonna be the same sack of shit I am today. In four or five years, I don't know, maybe I'll fucking fall out of love with Xbox, buy two PlayStation 5s, move to Cancun, and uh, lose internet access forever, and just go off the grid and play fucking... Sackboy's big adventure for the rest of forever on repeat. I don't know where I'll be in five years. So why are you going to tell me about Fable today? That's my complaint. I don't want to see more announcements. I want to know where the shit you already told me about is at. And I'm this is absurdly ranty. But Parksy, you know, you have every right to criticize me or tell me like, oh my God, whatever. This is what I think about what you had to say. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not upset. You're entitled to feel the way you feel. And I'm, and I'm sorry if you felt I was a little harsh on Xbox. But... That's the place in my heart where this reaction is coming from. It's like, guys, I don't need to know. And this is this is the one that upset me the most, was the Outer Worlds 2. 
Guys, the only reason they announced the Outer Worlds 2 was not for you, the consumer. It was not to tell you that Outer Worlds 2 is on the way. It was to tell Sony, it was to tell Take-Two and Private Division, it was to tell Nintendo, hey, we own Obsidian. They're our developer. Outer Worlds is our franchise. When they make another Outer Worlds game, it's coming to Game Pass, it's coming to Xbox, it's coming to PC, and y'all can go fuck yourselves. That's kind of what that announcement was really all about. It had nothing to do with hyping you, the consumer, up. That's what it was about. It's about saying the message that this is our content. This is more reason why Xbox is hot shit, why Game Pass is hot shit. So I see that, and I'm like, that's cool, but... Obsidian is, you know, only so big and they can only stretch themselves so thin. And I know they've expanded a little bit with Grounded being a pretty unforeseen big hit, you know, and obviously it's a much smaller project than their other games, but their core team's working on Avowed and Avowed is a, a an el- outer it's an Outer Worlds like game. It's a Fallout like game. It's an Elder Scrolls like game. Those are fucking big games. They take large teams, lots of years to complete. So like we know Obsidian is hard at work on Grounded. We know they're hard at work on Avowed. Why are you telling us about this fucking game that they can't even get around to until after these other games? It's exactly like what Bethesda did when they announced Starfield and then Elder Scrolls Six. It's like, I don't need to know about Outer Worlds 2. It's a given that there's going to be an Outer Worlds 2. We know. We played Outer Worlds 1. It was fucking awesome. It was a good game. It reviewed well. It sold pretty well. We know. Tell us about Avowed because that's the fucking game you told us about. So that's where I'm coming from. It's like, why are you going to tell me about all this shit that I'm not going to play until I've lost all my goddamn hair from balding? I don't need to know that. I want to know what I'm doing this fall. That's why I need to know what the fucking release date of Halo is. Don't tell me, don't tell me you can give a, an 11-11-22 date for Starfield, but you can't give Halo a release date when that game's supposed to launch in like four months. So like, this is the kind of shit I'm talking about. It's like, man, I... Like I said last week, I don't need them to announce 10,000 new games and tell me how awesome Game Pass is. I know how awesome Game Pass is, and I know how much I love Xbox. In fact, I stuck through with Xbox all throughout the Xbox One generation and really didn't even have a complaint about the the lack or the lack of games or first-party content or anything. I thought Xbox One was pretty fucking great. I had a great time. So I don't need you to sell me on 50,000 brand new exclusives. I just want to know where the other stuff's at. Like, you told us about Halo like three years ago. You showed it the next year. And then you showed gameplay last year, and then you delayed it to this year. It's like, okay, show me that. Show me a deep dive on the campaign. Tell me what fucking day I need to request off work so I can play Halo Infinite. I don't give a shit about all this other stuff that you're just throwing in my face so that you can have more sizzle. So, man, I didn't even think I was passionate about it. Dude, I've been having such a Sonic the Hedgehog type day, I didn't even know I cared. Wow, Parksy. So, that, I mean, that, that's where I'm coming from, man. And and just one one last note, I politely disagree with your whole thing that if it's a game announcement, it's acceptable to do a CGI trailer. I assume what you mean is like, if it's the first time you're being shown a game, a CGI trailer with no gameplay is acceptable. It's usually on the second or the third reveal where we expect the gameplay. I, I assume that's what you're getting at. And yes, that's the trend. Yes, that's what we're used to and we've been conditioned to. I don't think that's necessarily acceptable. I, I think I'm very firmly in the camp that you really shouldn't give too much of a fuck, especially about a new IP until you've seen the gameplay. Like I'll, I'll get excited over the announcement of a new Halo game with no gameplay because I've been playing Halo for 20 fucking years. I know what Halo is. If you tell me you're making a new Halo and you show a cinematic trailer, I'm going to get excited because I, I know what to expect. But like, I'm not going to get excited over something like Contraband or Redfall when you don't have gameplay to show, because this is a new IP. 
I don't know what contraband looked like. I don't know what fucking Redfall looks like. I've never played it. There's never been one. So I I, I kind of politely disagree with you. It, it depends on the game, you know? So if they want to show a 30-second CGI teaser for the next Gears of War, I'll allow it because I know what fucking Gears of War is and we know there's another Gears of War in development. We all played Gears 5. We know how that game ends. It's on a fucking cliffhanger. We're all waiting for the next Gears of War. So that's fine. But I'll be honest with you, Contraband could be so many fucking things right now, and we could all be wrong. Everyone listens to this podcast right now could take a guess as to what the hell contraband is, and then in two years or three years or whatever, when we finally see it or play it or whatever, we could all be dead wrong because they showed so little of a game no one knows anything about that has no precedent, no no prior establishment whatsoever. So I kind of disagree. If you're going to announce a brand new IP... Don't show me a little CGI trailer with no context for anything and expect me to be like, oh, I'm so pumped. Like, what am I supposed to say? Did you see the way Contraband looked? Oh my God, that game looks fucking amazing. Like, how am I supposed to say that? You gave me a splash screen and the inside of some fucking building. Okay, you got to show me a gameplay for me to get excited about a video game. That's, I, I don't know. It seems like a reasonable criticism in my opinion, but Parksy, oh my God. You know I love you, but daddy, daddy is tired now. <laughs> All right, next up, my bro- we won't, we're not going to take that long on every comment. I just We had to go into that one because I'm still a little salty about E3. Listen, overall, again, good good, good value. Listen, the fact that we're getting 27 of those 30 games in Game Pass, that is a cool, really cool little thing that Microsoft gets to tout. That is great value. Listen, I'm... Uh, let's stop saying listen, Jesse. But I- I'm pretty excited about The Ascent and Back for Blood and Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5. These are all games I'm going to be playing this year all for free through Game Pass or for $15 a month, whatever, because of Game Pass. That's awesome. I'm more than happy with all of that. But again, it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to show me what's on the horizon for Xbox, tell me about fucking Hellblade 2. Why did you announce Hellblade 2 two fucking years ago? And then you had nothing to say about it. And we'll get into that in the news in a little bit. The Hellblade 2 thing is incredibly egregious the way they announced that game. But, um, whatever. My brother Josiah writes in and says, I was incredibly disappointed that, we, and remember, we're still talking about everyone's reactions to E3, but that's that's the one we're going to spend a long time on. Everything else is going to be kind of a quick read. I was incredibly disappointed that we didn't see any updates on Avowed or Fable. This makes me think that we have to wait until 2024, potentially, just to get these games in our hands. Hopefully 2023, but let me be dramatic. But honestly, Halo Infinite's all that really matters here. The fact that people are actually hyped for this makes me incredibly happy. I can't wait to jump into that game and play my first multiplayer match. Yeah. That's that's exactly my that's exactly my sentiment. It's all my criticism, but at the end of the day, I'm not really personally upset because we got Halo. I'm good. What else is there to say? Squall flips Mad Max as blasphemous. Everything mattered. Everything I want has a release date. Battlefield, Elden Ring, and much more. Halo multiplayer did indeed look good, but where was the campaign? Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm fucking saying. Don't tell me about contraband. Show me a fucking five minute gameplay demo of this campaign. Show me that it doesn't look like shit anymore. I never thought it looked like shit, but, you know, last year everyone was ripping on the way the game looked. Show me that. Don't fucking tell me about Hades coming to Xbox. I don't give a shit. Of course Hades is coming to Xbox. It's a, it's a console with a large install base, and it's a game that did extremely well. They want to sell the game. They're going to port it to Xbox. No fucking shit. We don't need to see that E3. You can do that on a blog post. You can do that any day. Listen, tell me this. Why do we live in a world where an Indiana Jones video game gets announced on a random Tuesday in February, but Hades coming to Xbox a year after it came to Switch and PC 
is E3 press conference worthy? That's what I'm talking about. It's like, and by the way, Indiana Jones is the type of game you can announce without gameplay because even though there's no, it's not a direct sequel to a previous Indiana Jones game, we all know what the fuck Indiana Jones is and people who are fans of that franchise are going to jump on board and buy an Indiana Jones game, whether it's a fucking third person action adventure game or a sex dungeon simulator. Like, no one cares. It's Indiana Jones. It's a known quantity. If you Another example of how when it's acceptable to do that CG no gameplay thing. But uh, anyway, so, sorry Squall, I'm, I'm stomping all over your comment. You say, also Game Pass is loaded with game after game. Can you believe we got the narrative of Xbox has no games? Now it's Xbox has too many games. And I think that's very intentionally the point. Is Phil Spencer, I think, really took that to heart. And the team at Xbox is, has a, is very much on a revenge mission to make anyone who ever claimed Xbox has no games to make them totally fucking regret ever saying that. Um, that's that's exactly what they're getting at. That's why they're so focused on announcing games more than actually releasing games. Is Because at, at the very least, they've totally painted this picture now. You know, it, We can argue if whether or not the way they've handled the announcement of games lately has been a good thing or a bad thing, but what we cannot argue is they've definitely done a fantastic job of painting the picture that, oh, we've got the fucking games. Trust me. Uh, hot toddy says, y'all are too soft on Xbox. The event was easily a 4 out of 10, and only because of Halo and Forza. Like, really, Xbox has three franchises, Bethesda excluded. Halo, Gears, Forza. How could you release the most, the two most important games in a one-month period? Which leads to my next question. How many times can you delay Halo? Also, how are you going to drop the release date by just a tweet? I know you will say that you can wait as long as, as you have to for the game to be finished, but it sounds like a bad, it sounds like bad management to me. I don't have a problem with waiting if the date is final and the developer keeps their promise. So, Hot Toddy, I'd say, you, if anything, you're a little more down on all this stuff than I was, at least judging by this comment. I mean, I wouldn't say Halo just has those three franchises, but I, I will say there's some relatability to what you're saying because even though it's really cool that Xbox has been acquiring all these studios and growing and Xbox is getting bigger or whatever... Uh, I'll be honest, I was always so, I think I said this recently on the show too, I was always so content with what Xbox had, like, you know, like, the first party lineup being like, here's a Halo, here's a Forza, here's a Gears of War, here's a fucking, I don't know, the occasional game from Rare, or like, you know, whatever, you know, but I was always so happy with the Xbox lineup, I was always just like, oh my god, Forza Horizon, yes, oh my god, Halo 4, yes, oh my god, uh, Gears of War 4, yes, like, I don't know, I never had this issue, I was always so pleased with it, and everything else was fulfilled by the third parties, I never felt like I was missing out, because the, the stuff Xbox was giving me was great, and then all the other stuff was, you know, Xbox has always had pretty solid third party support, it's not like Nintendo, where it's like, you buy Nintendo games or you don't buy shit, you know, on Nintendo's console, you know, now it's a little different because the Switch is kind of like Steam a little bit where you buy a lot of indies, but like, oh my God, for the past like 20 years, you know, ever since, ever since the Wii at least, Nintendo's been such a shit platform for third-party games. Like that's a console where it's like, if Nintendo doesn't have great support for it, then don't fucking buy the console because ain't no third-party putting out anything worth a damn on that console. But, you know, Microsoft doesn't have that problem. Xbox has always been really well-supported in the third-party department, so I've always been pretty happy with that stuff, but I, I agree with you. I'm Like, to me, it's cool that they're acquiring all these new teams and whatnot, but, like, I don't look at, like, I don't know, I think of, um, I think of, like, compulsion games. I'm like, I mean, I hope they put out something cool, but, like, I'm not 
I don't look at them and I get excited the same way I get excited about like another Gears or Halo game. So I'm like, oh, okay, let's let's hope they put out something cool. Welcome to the team. But anyway, yeah, I honestly I think you're being a little harder than I am. But I do I do agree with you. It even if even with all the acquisitions and everything, you know, Double Fine isn't as big a deal as Halo or Forza. Whatever they're working on, you know, Undead Labs, whatever they're doing with State of Decay, you know, that's not as big a deal as whatever Xbox is working on with or whatever, whatever's going on with Halo and Forza. Like those are their tentpole games. So to release hypothetically, you know, Forza and Halo back to back right there in November like that, kind of a dumb move. But honestly, the more and more I think about this, the more I am a little convinced that Halo Infinite's probably getting delayed again. They just didn't know how to break the news because there's no way that they're crazy enough to be like yeah here's forza horizon 5 and then two weeks later here's halo infinite it just just doesn't make sense to me but also yeah i mean listen i, I agree with you a game needs to be a game should be delayed as many times as it needs to be to be ready and, and fully fleshed out and be a, the, the best it can be but there there does come a point where it's like how many times can you delay this game before it's like well this isn't because the game needs a little more polish this is because their production's been so mismanaged like you look at a game like like cyberpunk right and you look at the nightmare of an experience that game was they tried to self-publish that game that's why that game turned out like shit they didn't have a publisher with correct producers kind of leading the the development timeline the production team through that game so that game ended up like shit because you know these guys these developers with no publishing experience were just kind of figuring it all out as they went along and the game ended up being way over budget and taking way too long to develop and then still came out completely fucking broken because it was a poorly managed project. And so I think you can probably argue that with Halo. Of course, COVID plays a role to an extent, but I mean, there are stories that have, been com- that have come out and reports from 343 employ- employees of both past and present about how that studio is not really run too tight. So I wouldn't be totally surprised to learn that's part of what's fucking things up with Halo. But that being said... At the end of the day, I just personally don't care. I just I just want Halo Infinite to come out being a fully fleshed out and solid, like rock solid experience. And if I got to wait, you know, a year and then you got to delay it another three months or whatever, that sucks. But I don't know. I don't know. Lethal Migraine says, Fable is at least two years away. Why would anyone possibly think that it would have gameplay? Because again, Lethal Migraine, why are you going to talk about F- Fable if you don't got something to show? Because remember... The rumor was that Playground Games was working on Fable since, like, I think that rumor started coming around in, like, 2017. Like, early, early murmurings of that rumor. I'm pretty sure started rolling around in, like, maybe it was 2018, but I think it might have been 2017. Like, the rumors of Playground Games working on a Fable game have been going around for so fucking long that Microsoft should have just been like, well, let's not announce the game until we have something to show because people know Playground Games is working on on Fable, so don't bother telling them play, because it saves the it serves the same fucking purpose. If if every news outlet and every Xbox media personnel or influencer or brand ambassador tells you about how oh I heard that Playground Games is working on a Fable reboot and they tell you that for years and years and years, isn't that the exact same thing as Microsoft coming out one year and being like showing you a CGI trailer for thirty seconds that says Fable Playground Games coming? At some point. Isn't that kind of the exact same thing? It's like, yeah, we know it's on the way, but... So if your audience has already known for years that Playground Games is almost certainly working on a fucking Fable... Remember, before they announced Fable, this was like a year and a half ago, remember? That artwork, that that artist rendering for Fable, like, leaked. It was like some, like, Brazilian artist or something. And then they... And then Xbox, like, 
masked it up or the artist masked it up and was like, oh, no, 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 no. I was doing some commission work for like a portfolio and I was doing like artwork inspired by this time period or some shit like that. And it was like the piss, most piss poor excuse of all time. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, it's Fable. Like it wasn't a well-kept secret. Everyone knew Fable was coming. So why did you announce Fable and why did you give us a cute little CG trailer if the game is, as you say, at least two years away? And when they showed it, based on your comment, that means it was at least three years away. So why the fuck did you tell us about it? That's that's what I'm saying here, Lethal Migraine. Um, also, you say, you disappoint me, or your disappointment is foolish. Why? Because everything you mentioned is two plus years away. There's no way in hell they'd be showing gameplay that far out. Xbox showed 30 games and most are coming to Xbox in the next 12 months. Fair point. In fact, you just watched it again. I just watched it again, and 19 of the 30 games are coming out this year within six months. Yeah, again, if you're going for the argument of quality over quantity, that's great, Lethal Migraine. I'm so great that everyone's Game Pass uh, subscription, everyone's 10 to $15 Game Pass subscription, is going to be completely justified because in the next six months, we're going to get at least 19 new additional games that launch straight into Game Pass. That's great. That's great. I told you already. I don't have to pay for Forza or Back for Blood or Halo or The Ascent. These games are all going to come out day one into Game Pass. That's fantastic. But again, it's like, why did you spend all last year announcing these fucking... Why did you spend the last two years being like, Perfect Dark and Hellblade 2 and Indiana Jones and all this shit? Why have you been telling me all this stuff if you don't want to show me anything, if you're not far along enough to tell me in any great detail? Was it because... You had a console to promote last fall and no games were ready to sell with it. So you had to make a bunch of premature announcements just to sell your new box. Because that's what this does. This E3 goes back to 2020 and makes everything look like a marketing scam to an extent. It What it basically does, maybe everything that we saw last week at E3 is fantastic. And it all comes down in the next 6 to 12 months. And all these games are amazing. They launch into Game Pass and we get the best value ever. And everyone we know who owns a PlayStation 5 literally knocks on our front door, sobbing in tears, saying, I made the wrong purchase. I want to be an Xbox now. I get it. Maybe all of that happens and we're all right. And Lethal Migraine, you're completely validated and the world is, is great and keeps spinning. But even if that's the case, that this press conference was perfect and they nailed it, knocked it out of the park, does it not at the very least disqualify all the reveal events they had in 2020? Because like, why'd you show Fable if it wasn't ready to go? Why'd you show Avowed if it wasn't ready to go? Why'd you show Hellblade if it wasn't ready to go? Oh, because around the time all these games were were being announced and being shown with their little CG trailers, they were trying to announce and push and promote the release of the Xbox Series X. So now I'm left thinking, oh, they weren't announcing Fable because they want Xbox gamers to feel blessed with new knowledge. No, they were announcing games like Fable and Avowed because they were trying to push the Xbox Series X despite the fact that in fall 2020, they didn't have any fucking games to put with it. And listen, again, I'm not I'm not actually upset. I'm just trying to I'm trying to hold Xbox's feet to the fire because I don't want to have a podcast here where I spend all day tugging on Microsoft's little dick about the Xbox because at that point, might as well work for Xbox. Really no reason why I should have an Xbox podcast if I'm only going to say overwhelmingly positive things about Xbox. Might as well just go work for their PR team. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, if Microsoft wants to hire me to work on their PR team, I'll quit my day job and, and work at Xbox any fucking day of the week. I'll smile through my fucking crooked teeth and lie to each and every one of you assholes and say that e- Xbox can do no wrong and that Microsoft is, is a beautiful company. I'll, I'll lie to you all day long and represent the Microsoft brand for a paycheck. But that's not my job, and that's not what I do. 
And so if I'm hosting an Xbox podcast and I'm just a regular Joe Schmo independent content creator, quote unquote, and Microsoft ain't paying me under the table to say anything, why the hell am I going to sit here and lie to you and say everything is peaches when it's not? It's, it's clearly fucking not. The reason, because now let's take everyone's stance. That E3 last week was amazing, was phenomenal, was the best show ever made. Everyone sucks except Xbox. We're awesome and we have pretty large muscles because sometimes we work out the gym. That's great. But doesn't that just invalidate last year? It just, it just says, well, fall 2020, we had no fucking games. So we just showed you a bunch of shit that was like four or five years away so we could still have an excuse to get you hyped and buy a new $500 console. That's what that tells me. And again, I'm not personally mad. I don't regret buying my Series X. I love the FPS boost. I love the fast SSD. I love the 120 hertz. I love the way it looks on my new TV. I like playing Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War on it. I like playing Halo the Master Chief and getting an FOV slider on it. I'm happy with it. I'm a big Xbox nerd. I love that shit. I'll be I'll pay $1,000 for the Xbox Series X if that's what it costs. And I would have been totally fine with it. But I'm just thinking, you know, from, from an honest marketing standpoint, did Xbox do the right thing last year by announcing a bunch of fucking games that weren't ready to go like look at sony in contrast sony's been just bowing out of e3s of most summer events and all this stuff and right now a big conversation in the playstation community is okay ratchet and clank just came out and we know god of war and horizon zero dawn are coming soon but both of those games are also coming to ps4 so with that said playstation 5 has no fucking first party exclusives that are announced that we're waiting for none of them because God of War and Horizon are both coming to PS4, so they're cross-gen games, and nothing else has been announced. And Sony didn't show up at E3. I almost kind of respect that more, just because at least Sony's willing to be like, we got nothing to show, we're not going to show up. It almost feels like sometimes Xbox's reaction is like, we've got nothing to show, so let's dig something up. Uh, Rare, what are you doing? Uh, well, we have a concept for a game. We have three beautiful pieces of artwork. Oh, cool, what's it called? Uh, we don't have a, a word for it, but it evokes this feeling of the, the word we came up with uh, the, the emotion that is evoked is is this sense of ever wild it's a it's, it's a word it's we just come came up with it. it's a great we'll take it and then they're just like uh ever wild here announced and then xbox fans get on twitter and they're like playstation fans can suck my chode because Everwild is cool send tweet and then that's like it's like that's what we're doing we're just fueling a, a fanboy console war we're not actually doing right by the consumer like i'm I don't benefit from Everwild being announced five years prematurely. Like, like that, that doesn't help me at all. Clearly, Rare's focus right now is Sea of Thieves. And Everwild is pretty early in development, and it's going through some early development uh, leadership shuffling, which is fine. I'll be excited for the game when it's ready to be shown, but, like, just talk about Sea of Thieves. If that's what you got, talk about that. And if you don't want to talk about the same thing over and over again, don't show up. You don't have any obligation, okay? I'm happy with Xbox with or without it. So, Lethal Migraine, look at me. This is like the Star Wars Episode 3 arc. I'm Anakin Skywalker, and you guys are watching me turn to the dark side. Next week, you're not going to see it because it's an audio-only podcast, but I might, I'm might. i going to be wearing a fucking PlayStation shirt the whole goddamn recording. No, that's not true. I'm going to be naked like always. But anyway, speaking of Lethal Migraine and food, <laughs> Lethal Migraine says, Potbelly subs are good. Firehouse Firehouse subs are very mediocre disagree subway is trash agree jimmy john's has awful bread eh, fair enough i don't think it's awful jersey mike's is greatness personified and walmart has okay subs look at you lethal migraine and quiznos is decent okay well lethal migraine you always gotta do your little hipster thing and, and be all unique because 
99% of people don't want, don't know what the fuck potbelly is. I had to ask someone at work what it was, and luckily they're from the Northeast, so they were familiar with it. Apparently there's one in Tampa, Florida, so if I want to drive an hour away, I can go try a potbelly sub, but why got why got to throw in that region-specific stuff all the time, boy? No, just kidding. I, I want to try it. Thank you for bringing it to my attention, but I'll, I'll disagree with you. I think Firehouse is pretty damn good, and I'm so tired of people trashing on Firehouse because... They work really hard and serve our good firefighters and in our communities, and they just don't get the respect they deserve. Plus, they have like a billion fucking barbecue sauces and hot sauces lined up on their wall that you can just grab at any time and mix and match and try, which is really cool. I love being able to be just like order the same fucking Philly cheesesteak every time I go in there, but it tastes different every time because I just try two or three different hot sauces every visit. I love that. So don't fucking knock Firehouse, okay? But yeah, you're right. Subway is trash. Subway should literally be banned. Like if I were, if I were a dictator of the world, I would put, I would literally just fucking guillotine any motherfucker who orders a Subway sub. Like that's how offensive Subway is to me. Sam Torres writes in and says, Bucky's. I don't know if I've ever been so pumped, get it, to go to a convenience store. Really felt like we entered some sort of master race of gas and, and food store. A uh, lot of Daytona cops there both times we went. Gotta have the Bucky's between meth bus, you know? Great show. Phil is gonna be calling soon. I can feel it. Oh, yeah. Phil's gonna be calling real soon. Cease and desist. Uh, Sam Torres. Look at you. you. You've been to the Daytona Bucky's. You've already stepped foot. So now when I finally make it over there, I'll walk in the store and I'll say, oh, Sam Torres has been here. Maybe I'll feel your energy. And then OG Man says, actually, I live right next to a Bucky's. Man, they are—they really are the best. Glad you got to experience it. Also, down here in te- where I'm at in Texas, we actually do have some that are like standard 7-Eleven size stores without the gift shop and barbecue pl- uh, pit and everything. So that's actually cool. I didn't, did not know that. I don't know how I'd feel about a Bucky's that's like regular like 7-Eleven racetrack speedway size like standard gas station fare i don't don't know how i feel about that like a 7-eleven like regular joe schmo 7-eleven size bucky's seems like it defeats the purpose because like the whole appeal of bucky's is how comically massive and egregious it is but at the same time they do have high quality food so i guess if they sell their grab and go stuff it's probably better than like your average gas station so at least there's that now my brother speaking of everwild my brother says As for Everwild, I'm guessing there was more made than you thought. I would think the creative director's vision wasn't coming together in those early builds, and that's what led to him leaving and a new director stepping in. Phil Spencer doesn't strike me as an incompetent person who would let studios go wild or prematurely announce stuff. Uh, P.S. Elder Scrolls 6 wasn't announced prematurely. You gotta stop saying that. That's annoying. They knew it would be around for forever, so they told us it will happen, but not anytime soon. I call that fan service. They were completely transparent. I guess so. I mean, that that listen, that's a fair take, but I didn't read this comment sooner in the show, so it completely invalidates a lot of what I was saying if I agree to that, so I'm going to disagree. But no, I mean, st- still, I, I I don't know. I still, di- I still disagree with that because let the people fucking talk. Who cares? Let the people talk. If everyone's going to say Elder Scrolls 6, Elder Scrolls 6, Elder Scrolls 6 for, year, 6 for years and years and years and years, and you're not going to say anything about it because you're not ready to show it, Let that be the fucking case. Let people remember your games. Let people remember your name. Let people be hungry for what you have. And do your fucking thing and show it when you're ready. Don't tease them prematurely because it's a damned if I do, damned if I don't situation, I suppose, right? Because if they go the route that I'm suggesting, suggesting, which is go make Starfield, don't mention Elder Scrolls until after Starfield and when that's actively your next project. They run the risk of people being like... Oh, Starfield, cool. We want Elder Scrolls, you know? 
and in, in diverting attention away from what it is they're trying to work on because people are more obsessed with a sequel to Elder Scrolls than they are with whatever creative new project you have in the works. But if they go the route they did go, they do have the opportunity to be like, hey, here's this really cool new thing we're working on. And people are like, oh, cool. I'll definitely check this out because we know Star- we know uh, Elder Scrolls is on the way. But also at the same time, it, it invites people because people are stupid. You gotta under- You gotta understand. If there's one thing I've learned being a human being who exists on the internet, it's that people are so fucking stupid. Companies can make announcements all day, every day, be as transparent as humanly possible and make a very cut and clear statement and people will just ignore the hell out of that or misconstrue it or twist and turn it into whatever they want it to mean and then they'll just go about defeating the purpose of whatever your transparent statement was all for. I mean, look at that Look at that Pete Hines thing that happened this week where he came out and he was like, listen, I understand the frustration if you're a PlayStation fan, if you, you know, and you feel like, you you know, Starfield's not coming to PlayStation, you're upset. I get that. You know, we're trying to make the game available on as many platforms as possible and we're, and we're trying to, you know, make it accessible to people so that no matter what, there's some way, shape or form where they can play it, you know, referring to like mobile or PC and... And then people shit all over him. It's like, say you're sorry. Say you're sorry for cucking to Microsoft. It's like, dude, what the fuck? The guy, like, dude, Pete Hines, I'll literally suck Pete Hines' dick right now because the guy was being so incredibly transparent and honest and candid with the audience about that. Like, first of all, props to Xbox and Microsoft for allowing him to come out and be that candid and that transparent with the audience. That was awesome of them to not be all like suit and tie buttoned up and tell them exactly what kind of bullshit PR response you had to give them. That actually just let him be a fucking human and speak like a human, which was awesome. And then congrats to Pete Hines for handling that very well. He's like, yeah, it sucks, but we have a relationship with Microsoft and now there's a, you know, now we're owned by them and it is what it is. And the game's still going to be available in a lot of great places. Still a lot of ways to experience the game. Like these things happen. This is business. Sorry, it sucks, but you know, it's like, come on. And I, I love that answer because the problem is people get upset because even though it's an honest answer, it's not the answer they want. And so they just keep bitching and pushing and complaining until they get the response they want. They don't even want the true thing to happen. They just want to hear the words. It's like fucking elections. Like people fucking vote for like the most awful, hum- inhumane fucking presidential candidates in the world. Not because of what they're going to do when they get in office, but because of what they fucking say while they're running for election. So it's like literally that same exact shit. It's like you don't you don't care what control Pete Hines has over the situation. You just care about if he's going to say the thing you want to see come out of his mouth. And so I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right, but I stand by it. I prefer... Listen, and, and the funny thing here is we're talking about Bethesda. Bethesda are no strangers to how to properly roll out a game. You know, say what you will about Fallout 4. I know it's not a lot of people's favorite Fallout game. Fallout 4, to me, is like the pinnacle of how you announce and release a fucking game. Everyone for years was like, when are we getting another Fallout game? Hey, Fallout, update on Fallout. Where's Fallout? And the speculation is like, oh, Bethesda's probably working on the next Fallout. Yeah, we were right. We were talking for years about Fallout. We were speculating that they're working on a Fallout game, and they were. And then at E3 in 2015, they were just like, here's Fallout 4. Announcement trailer. Gameplay trailer. Gameplay deep dive. Fallout 4. Specific release date. Four months from now. And then it was like, wow, we literally went from just like, hoping and praying that Fallout is in development and rumors about a Fallout game to just like Bethesda being like, okay, now we're ready to talk. Here's the game. Here's the gameplay. Here's the release date. See you in four months. That was awesome. That was fucking awesome. 
Say what you want about Fallout 4, if it was your favorite or least favorite, or where it ranks on your list of Bethesda games, but like, Fallout 4 had the most immaculate, revealed-to-release roadmap I've just ever seen. It was phenomenal. If every game could be like Fallout 4 in terms of that announced-to-reveal cycle, dude, like, come on. Like, you guys have day jobs, you have families, you have adult obligations. It's like, you don't just sit around all day, like, in agony because, like, you need someone to announce a game you're not going to play for four years right now. No. Because you got to go to work, you got to pay your fucking bills, you got to keep up with your family and your loved ones. There's other things you like besides this one video game. Like, like you're humans. You live, like, full lives, right? So, why do you need Bethesda to tell you about a game you're not going to play for, like, ten years? Today. Like, why do you need that? Just let them show you it when they got, like, don't you have other things to occupy? I, I get the frustration, man. Like, right now, I'm super pumped for Sonic Colors Remaster coming out in September. I got to wait a couple months, like... Fuck me. I have other things to do. Like, would it be nice if I could just stop recording, sit on my couch, and play that game right this second? Yeah. But it comes out in a few months, so I'll wait. And I'll do other stuff in the meantime. Like, I'm going to fucking tear down a goddamn wall over the situation. Anyway. And then there's a couple of uh, little comments to round out the uh, comment section. We're already an hour in. What the fuck is happening? It's a slow news week. Don't worry. It won't be that long. Uh, Dead Captain James, speaking of which, says, Hey, let's go! Battlefield 2042 looks like a wet dream, and Halo Infinite is a close second. 2021 is going to be way better than I expected. Yeah. Despite all my bitching and complaining that I just did, I agree with that completely, Dead Captain James. 2021 is going to be awesome. Let's say Halo Infinite makes its date, doesn't get delayed. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking forward to Battlefield 2042? A lot of people are. I'm probably going to waste my money on it and then find out it's not for me anyway, but... It looks beautiful, and I think it also looks like a really fun game. Dude, Halo Infinite, like I said, Halo Infinite, Back for Blood, Forza Horizon 5, and The Ascent. All four of those games come out in the next few months, all in Game Pass, and that's more that's more content than I know what to do with, because, shit, I've got stuff going on. I don't have all the free time in the world. Hell, if it was just Halo Infinite, I'd still be overwhelmed with how much I want to play and how little time I have. Like, yeah, 2021's going to be awesome. So many good games coming up this fall. Couldn't agree more. And you also say, I feel you, Jesse. I couldn't care less about From Software games. They are boring AF. Amen. Lethal Migraine says, Xbox is buying Avalanche. It's the only explanation that makes sense. Mm, why? Because of contraband? I, I don't know about that, man. Remember, they still have a commitment with Epic Games to release a few more exclusive Epic Games store games. So there's that. Or was that... Am I thinking of Remedy now? I don't, I don't even fucking know. I, I need to fact check myself on that. Also, I mean, I, I, I kind of hope not. Like, it's cool that Xbox grew so much, but at the same time, I'm like... I don't know. I'd, I'd rather see all these long-standing developers stay independent or stay with their current partners and, and keep doing their thing and then watch Microsoft. Like, they already have a bunch of studios. Now it's time to buckle down and put some games out. Don't announce new games. Don't acquire new studios. Put some games out. Let's stop talking about games. Let's start playing some games. Okay, then we'll go from there. Then we can reevaluate, you know, Phil Spencer's famously mentioned many times in the past the the xbox portfolio let's let's talk about the portfolio in a couple years after we've played the 8 billion fucking fps's and and um third and western rpgs that we have coming exclusive to xbox now but like let's 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 come back in like two years and then we'll talk about what we need because goddamn, we got a lot right now okay plate's pretty full you're at the buffet you got the plate is stacked to the tippity top and you're looking at that dessert table and it's like dude Sit your ass down, eat the fucking plate you have in your hands, and if you're still hungry, you go back for dessert. Stop it. You're being fat right now. Okay? 
So lethal migraine. Xbox is buying Avalanche. That's your explanation. That's that's your hope. That's your that's your educated guess. Sit down, and eat your fucking food, and then we'll talk about dessert, okay, baby? And lastly, uh, Mr. Miggy, how could you not? How could you? How could you not have a little Mr. Miggy? Says. The info you gave me on Disney last week is great. Had to stop working to take notes. I'd love to hear other tips from other attractions. Also, yes, we like having you hard. Well, Mr. McGee, I'm sure you do, and I'm sure you'd like other tips and tricks, but if you'd like additional information on how to plan your ultimate Walt Disney World family vacation, you have to buy my 200 tips of how to plan the perfect Walt Disney World vacation. You'll also get my audio tour uh, book when you pre-order for an easy price of $49.97. I leave the other three cents off because I'm stupid as shit. Uh, Mr. Miggy, you have to buy my vacation planning video. I'll also send you a free DVD vacation planning document um, for you to watch endlessly on repeat. So I'm sure you'd like some additional tips, but honey, you got to pay for that shit. But no, in all seriousness, do do DM me or reach out to me if you'd like some additional information on vacation planning and listen i'm not opposed to getting rid of something like the new game releases of the week or the game pass segment you know we can knock those segments off the podcast if you guys don't love them and we can end the episode every week with a little bit of like orlando vacation planning fun facts like hey i'm down for that i'm fucking down for that and we can put it at the end of the show so the people who don't want it can turn it off and then us educated high brain functioning people can uh, sit around and pontificate about SeaWorld and uh, the best time to book a Walt Disney World vacation. So you let me know. DM me. Now that's going to do it for all of our comments, shouts, and whatnot for this week. Don't just, just, just remember, don't be shy. Reply. And also, Wes, you got two weeks. Remember that. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, which I already told you about, let me tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, Mountain Dew, they're on a fucking roll. They say pandemic, more like pan-stupid, because we got so many flavors of Mountain Dew coming out the past 12 months. They don't give a shit. Who's dying? They're just being like, Mountain Dew this, Mountain Dew that. You got the Major Melon. You got the Frostbite. You got the fucking whatever the one at Dollar General was that was like a, a fucking tiki on it. And now you got Baja Flash and Baja Punch. Now, you know, because you're a sophisticated consumer, I know you know, every summer for the past five years or so, Microsoft, PepsiCo does this thing where they they take Mountain Dew Baja Blast, the much-beloved Taco Bell exclusive Mountain Dew flavor and they release it in stores for eh, like two months or so. Usually it's like at the beginning or the middle of the summer and they'll just do it for a couple months. They'll be like, here's Baja Blast. You can buy in stores in personal bottles and cans. It's available to everyone. Enjoy. Because in two months, shit's going away and you got to go back to Taco Bell if you want more. And they've been doing that for a while, but this year they decided to turn up the dial to 11 and they said, nah, we're not just putting out Baja Blast, but Baja Blast is getting some, some siblings that go with it. So for the first time ever, there are additional, so Mountain Dew Baja is now, Baja is a sub-brand of Mountain Dew. So now we have the introducing the two new Mountain Dew Baja Flash and Baja Punch. Now the Flash one is a coconut pineapple uh, Mountain Dew flavor, and the Punch is a fruit punch Mountain Dew flavor. So I, I get it. You know, Baja Blast is like a very like, fun tropical like southern california like whatever kind of vibe and flavor and so it's like oh well, let's keep with that fun like kind of vacation flavor profile thing i kind of get that but after searching so many walmarts this week trying to find and track down all these flavors which i at the time of this recording i've successfully done i have the cans and the bottles we're good i have my 
my collection saved up and my stash for drinking. So we're good. I have them. But after searching so long and hard for these, I got to be honest, this is another example of many in recent history where it's like new Mountain Dew flavor, super pumped to try it, get my hands on it. This is good, but it doesn't taste like Mountain Dew. I will say of the two new ones, my favorite one is the Flash the coconut pineapple one, it's really fun. It's like a pina colada uh, Mountain Dew. I love pina coladas. I love Mountain Dew. Good shit, right? And it's a good soda. It's a good drink. The problem is, you know how like, obviously there's classic Mountain Dew, but the thing is, you drink Code Red. one Like the very first spin-off Mountain Dew flavor. You drink Code Red and you're like, this is a very unique flavored soda, but it still feels authentically Mountain Dew. It's like edgy and energetic and full flavored and overly sweet. And it's a big punch. And it's kind of an extreme flavor. It's like really, mm. you know, Mountain Dew like embodies that like go hard, extreme X Games 1990s kind of Sega Genesis feeling. That's what I love about Mountain Dew is I feel like it's like the soda embodiment of that energy. And I love, I fucking love that. And it, maybe Surge is technically that, but to an extent, that's like always what Mountain Dew's kind of been to me. And when you drink something like Code Red or Mountain Dew Voltage, these longer standing spinoff flavors, they're unique sodas that don't taste like anything else, but they still feel right at home in the Mountain Dew family. But lately, Mountain Dew's been so hard on like, here's Mountain Dew Frostbite, which has this really cool can art with like a shark on it. But you drink it and it's like melon flavored Mountain Dew and it tastes kind of boring it's like it tastes like a melon fanta drink or they did the major melon one which they're still selling for some reason but it's a fine soda but it just tastes like a watermelon fanta or something like that it doesn't taste like mountain dew you know it tastes like it tastes like fruit soda tastes fine but it doesn't taste like mountain dew i don't drink mountain dew code red because i love cherry soda you know I like Mountain Dew Code Red because it tastes like Mountain Dew Code Red. There's nothing like it, you know? If I wanted cherry soda, there's plenty of options. You can get a cheer wine. You can get a cherry Dr. Pepper. You can get a cherry Coke. There's so many options. There's probably just cherry sodas. I'm sure Crush or someone makes one, whatever. But Mountain Dew Code Red isn't just like Mountain Dew with cherry. I know that's how they describe it. But like, no, it it really does taste like its own flavor profile, its own drink. Mountain Dew Voltage really does it. It's not like some weird like blue raspberry soda or something. Like it just tastes like its own flavor profile, but it's in the Mountain Dew family. But they haven't been able to nail that lately with the Mountain Dew flavors. And and weirdly enough, is this whole slew of like so many because Mountain Dew used to be like you get a, a new flavor maybe once a year or once every other year. But like the past two years, ever since around the time I moved to Florida, actually, Mountain Dew's been going so fucking hard on like a new flavor every four months. Like they're just going so hard on this. And when they started this new bum rush of flavors, it was actually kicked off with uh, two summers ago, Mountain Dew Liberty Brew, which was a completely unique flavor. And I actually love that one. People say it kind of tastes like melted like gummies or something like that. I think it kind of has that embodiment of like classic Mountain Dew where it tastes like an original, authentic flavor that's not like any other soda you've had before and it's right at home in the Mountain Dew lineup. I liked it a lot. And then that October, they did a brand new Halloween flavor called Mountain Dew Voodoo. Voodoo is one of my all-time favorite Mountain Dew flavors. It tastes like whiteout with like a candy corn like twist to it. Again, it has that like unique flavor. It doesn't taste like any other soda you've had before. It's overly strong and energetic and punchy but it's energetic and caffeinated. It's Mountain Dew. Also, shout out to Voodoo. It just has the coolest fucking artwork on any can. Like, Mountain Dew always has the coolest artwork, but fuck, Voodoo is like the coolest goddamn logo and artwork I've ever seen on a beverage, and that's just a fact. Um, And those two flavors were great. 
But then, like, they kept going, and they just came out like the melon one and the watermelon one and the and the and the one that was only at Dollar General that was like tiki punch something flavor. And then they did the um, I'm staring at my Mountain Dew collection right here. I have a bunch of them. Then they did the zero sugar this, the zero sugar that, and then they did the Baja Punch and the Baja Flash and all this stuff. And it's like that's it's cool that there's like you know they're engaging with the community and they know there's Mountain Dew fans that want to run out there and try the new flavor and this and that. But it's like. Make sure, like, we're not just putting flavors out for the sake of putting flavors out. Like, the punch one is fine. I thought it was just okay. I need to try it again. Mountain Dew is one of those drinks that always goes best with, like, food. Like, Mountain Dew with, like, unhealthy food. Like, Mountain Dew with pasta or pizza or burgers or something. That's phenomenal. That always accentuates the flavor of Mountain Dew. You don't want to always drink Mountain Dew, like, alone. Like, Mountain Dew, like, on an empty stomach without any food. That's that's actually not really any good. So maybe that I just need to give it another try. But, like, the Flash one, the pineapple coconut one, pretty good still just kind of tastes like something you can get elsewhere. Like, I feel like there's another soda brand that has a generic pina colada soda. You know, the punch one just tastes like fucking high sea fruit punch carbonate or something. I don't know. Like, it's like, it just doesn't have that authentic and unique Mountain Dew experience I'm looking for. And that's kind of my gripe. But nonetheless, guys, that's what I've been eating. That's what I've been drinking. And I had to tell you about it. Now, as for where I've been playing, we already talked extensively about Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life. Phenomenal. Also, this past week, I on my uh, Surface Pro, I've been playing um, Disney Infinity because when the game got canceled, they put all the games and all the content and the toys and the figures, everything digitally on Steam. So you could just buy a package with everything. So I've just been playing through all the Toy Story content on Disney Infinity on my computer this week. Weirdly enjoying that. I, I played through all the Toy Story stuff for like six hours. So there's that. Uh, other than that, Minecraft just got some Sonic DLC, which we'll talk about later in the news, which I, I also played. That was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, that's that's really it. Not too, too much gaming. See if these is the big one, and we already went over that. So that's why I've been playing, guys. And with that out of the way, let's jump into the news. It's a slow news week, but we, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll do a long podcast. So see you on the other side. Ah, Mountain Dew Spark. That's the other one I was thinking of, the Raspberry Lemonade Mountain Dew. That, that one straight up just wasn't even good. It just literally not even remotely Mountain Dew flavor. Anyway, news time. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about this week is, of course, the Xbox Games Showcase Extended that took place last Thursday. So remember, this was <laughs> last week I was struggling with, okay, I don't want to delay the podcast, especially when we're this late with the E3 news. But Microsoft was basically like, yeah, after, you know, on Thursday, we're going to do an extended look at some of our games from E3. And I was like, fuck. And they're like, we're going to have our partners there, like Obsidian and stuff. I was like, oh shit, are they going to announce new stuff? And everyone's like, oh, they're going to announce new stuff. And then some of you guys were like, yeah, just delay the podcast another day. We'll, uh, we'll cover that news. I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to. And so I decided against it. I did not delay the podcast. I just took a chance and I said, I'll put the podcast out regular on Thursday. And if whatever happens at this extended showcase is really important, we'll just do an emergency secondary podcast. Good good call on my part because it was not important at all. Um, in fact, this event was pretty boring. I, I sat and watched the entire thing and it basically felt like it felt like people, you know, like when a video game is not, like when whenever they do something big at, for Halo, like they'll do a big E3 something for Halo. And then on the Halo Waypoint website, they'll do a big blog post that gets into like more granular detail. So it felt kind of like that. It felt like someone took the blog posts that go up on these games websites after the big E3 reveal and then like read through the granular posts on the game's website and all the little details and things like that because we didn't really get anything noteworthy um, with the exception of this first story. So I wrote, 
I'll just read off the notes. During the Xbox Game Showcase Extended that took place last Thursday, Microsoft announced the return of the Xbox Design Lab, the service that allows players to purchase their own customized Xbox controllers with granular detail in granular detail, was put on hold last fall as it tra- as the transition was made from Xbox One to Xbox Series consoles. With the service returning, players have greater access to even more colors and customizable details, including new face buttons. The new Xbox Design Lab includes 18 different colors to choose from, including three new colors inspired by recent controller releases, dubbed Shock Blue, Pulse Red, and Electric Volt. Fuck me, I just bought that one. Microsoft has also launched the program with two pre-made designs inspired by in-house titles, Psychonauts 2, and Grounded. Xbox Design Lab controllers for Series X and S are now available via the Microsoft Store, starting at $70 in the U.S., so that was the that was the big news, right? And we talked last October about how that was going away for a while in preparation to transition everything over from the old controllers to new ones. So no big surprise there, right? In fact, actually, I was I maybe a little bit surprised because I thought they were going to try to go about a year of Series X without doing this to try and sell you all these like shock blue and electric volt controllers and stuff for a while off the hype of a new console. And then once new console and hype and secondary control purchases started like plateau a little bit, I thought that's when they would return to the Xbox design lab. So I am a little surprised how soon we got it, but nonetheless, um, I mean, this isn't like earth shattering news or anything, but it's cool. It's, it's really cool. And I saw people like designing like uh, controllers that look kind of like Xbox 360 original controllers. And it's really cool. The amount of customization you can control, like, the color of the analog sticks and the face buttons have like more options and stuff. So you can get really specific with some of this design. Now it's way more options than we had before. And uh, yeah, this is just a fantastic service. I'm, I'm glad to see return. I I honestly, I can't, if I didn't just buy that electric volt controller, I would um, actually have already jumped on this, but I'm going to wait a little while and then get one, but I, I definitely plan on doing one of these. These are, this is awesome. This is a, this is just such a cool fan servicey thing that Xbox does, and I'm really glad to see that they are sticking with it. It wasn't some like temporary thing they did during the Xbox One generation, just to, like have something cool to keep fans satiated. Like I'm glad this is seems to be like a mainstay, like a, another standard practice for the Xbox brand, and I hope we continue to see that be the case. But yeah, so this is back. If you guys want to make your own customized controllers. I don't know if they're shipping outside the U.S. yet, but the article thing I was reading was just just mentioned U.S., so I want to look into that. But yeah, it's uh, it's back. You can do whatever you want. Got to make my Sonic the Hedgehog controller. That was that was like the big news, really surprisingly. And they announced that it was like the third thing they talked about in the show. But now I'm gonna just go through real quick and talk about all the Xbox related announcements, like Xbox first party related announcements that they had, because none of it was announcements. It was all just. That uh, that Paris kind of that guy from Kind of Funny Paris, he hosted the event and it was literally just like him sitting on a couch talking to developers from these different studios, and he was just asking them the most like ground ball easy fucking PR questions about these games. Like obviously it was a Microsoft event. It's not like they're gonna have some fucking games media person pressing them, you know, for information. So not to be unfair in that regard, but you know, just like it felt very like it, the, the showing felt very much like trying to explain these games to people who were too lazy to go online and just read the articles about these games. So, like, we learned nothing nothing new. For, like, for Forza Horizon 5, they had Mike Brown come out again, talk about the game. Literally talks about all the same shit they talked about at E3. Like, nothing new. Just, just doubling down on Forza Horizon 5. It's like, okay. 
And then next, they went to Ninja Theory. So I was like, okay, this is a big deal because Ninja Theory wasn't even at E3. And then they acknowledged that. They're like, yeah, we weren't at the showcase. And then they just transparently say, because we don't really have anything to show yet. I'm like, a little weird because you announced this game like two years ago or a year and a half ago. Again, to my point. So why'd you announce it if you don't have anything to show? a year and a half later and yeah, they were just like, yeah, we didn't have anything to show. So they're like, here's, here's a trailer, um, like a development diary trailer that shows like some behind the scenes, audio recording and motion capture and some of the effort we're putting into the game. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like you guys weren't at E3 and then you show up here to tell us that we got nothing to show. I'm like, all right. Again, I'm perfectly happy with the amount of content I have on my Xbox right now. I'm not pissed about it. I'm just, it's kind of a head scratcher for me. Like, why is this the way we're handling this situation? But nonetheless, that's that's what Ninja Theory. You know, we're all like expecting some big news when they're like Ninja Theory is going to be there, and like, oh, Ninja Theory wasn't at regular E3. What are they going to do? Well, this is what they're going to do. They're going to show you a dev diary of motion capture technology. So, nothing of note there. Then Double Fine showed Psychonauts. Now, this is the one that actually probably showed the most, uh, ironically enough. Uh, because they just showed tons and tons of gameplay and Tim Schafer did a big deep dive on like explaining some of the story aspects and some of the new places you'll explore and things like that. So there actually was a ton here and I encourage you if you're a big Psychonauts fan to check this out so you can, you know, see some cool new footage of the game. But again, it wasn't like Double Fine didn't like come up and they're like, we're really excited about Psychonauts 2. Here's what we're working on afterwards as we wrap up on Psychonauts 2. Like, no, you know, it wasn't anything big. It was just like, Here's a deeper look at Psychonauts. So if you want to see some cool gameplay, like we've already seen a bunch of it. The game looks fantastic, you know, comes out very soon. So that was that. And then they showed new details on the Anacrusis, which is one of the many Left 4 Dead games coming out this this year. Uh, game looks rough as shit, but also really cool. So probably going to give it a try. And then they showed Stalker 2, same thing. Like Actually, they had like less information at this than they had at E3 because Stalker 2 got a pretty good showing at E3. Then they showed Plague Tale Innocence is getting Xbox Series X and S optimization on July 6th. So that's cool. That was a little update. They're like, hey, we released a new game. We announced a new game, but the first entry in that series is getting a Series X update. So that was, that was cool. Then for Age of Empires, they literally just showed like gameplay footage and said there, there's stuff coming that they can't talk about. Uh, then they showed some Battlefield 2042 stuff, but nothing new. Obviously, that's not really an Xbox first party game. Then Sea of Thieves, they did a gameplay reveal for Pirate's Life, which would be relevant if it weren't for the fact that that's out now. So we don't have to talk about that because you can just go play it yourself. Then they did an interview with uh, one of the guys at Microsoft Flight Simulator, just talking about how it's coming soon to Series X and S. Literally nothing, inf- no, no information. They're just basically saying like, hey, uh, there will be more accessibility options to make the game easier for console gamers to sit down and just pick this game up. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's not like E3 worthy. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to criticize this event and say it was shitty. I'm just trying to say like, it didn't have anything that we need to like stop the show and talk about, you know? Um, this is fine. This is this is like an extended look for people who are just hungry for more information. So that's fine. But it just, it just felt like n- no information was really revealed that you couldn't have just got by like, going to flightsim.com and reading the blog posts or going to halowaypoint.com and reading the blog posts. But next they showed a deeper look at Hades, uh, which I don't give a shit about again, because I want to play this game. I'm sure it's a good game. I know people really love this game, but this game has been on steam and switch for like a year now. So why are you showing me a deep dive on a game? I could just go fucking play on my computer as of last year. So, and then they showed more about the grounded uh, shrooms and doom update which we already saw at E3. So that was 
that was Obsidian's big showing. It wasn't to talk about Avowed. It wasn't to talk about Outer Worlds. It was just to be like, yeah, grounded. The same update we showed you at E3. Here's more information on it. So not bad, but you know nothing that we had to stop the show for. And then the Halo Infinite multiplayer deep dive. This was the one that was like, for me, that was like, oh, that's how I know this event isn't important because they talked about Halo. It was like literally going into detail about the stuff that was in that Halo Waypoint blog that I read like four days prior. So I'm like, oh, so like I really don't need to pay attention to this because like I already knew every last bit of these like nitty gritty details. Uh, and th- yeah, that was it. That was it. That was basically the gist of the show. They showed some other third party stuff, but like, I mean, it's not a bad showing at all. Like if you're, if you were really enticed by what we saw on Sunday at E3 and you just want a little bit more, you know, just something more to watch. It was fine. It was like just some commentary, some extended information on games we already knew a lot about. So nothing like too exciting or tantalizing, but nonetheless, it was a nice little something. If you were just left on like a high note, looking for a little something else. Um, so that was that whole event. The big takeaway being that the Xbox design lab is back, which is fucking awesome. But yeah, that was a, that was that. Um, and that's really it for our first story. We only have two other stories to go through. So we'll just jump into that right now. Next from Sonic stadium. We never quoted them before, but there's some Sonic news to talk about. Yay for me. Nay for you. Takashi Izuka has revealed that his goal with the 2022 Sonic game announced just a few weeks ago is to create a landmark title that the franchise in the franchise that will lay the foundation for future games, much like Sonic Adventure did with the 3D with the advent of 3D Sonic games 20 years ago. In an exclusive interview with Sonic Stadium, Sonic Team leader and series game producer said that the development studio had been had spent uh, time trying to build something new and challenging. He hopes that the impacts will be felt by a number of, for a number of years, suggesting that it could influence future games in the franchise for at least the next decade. Izuka-san further explained that while he couldn't share anything specific about the next mainline Sonic entry that was teased a few weeks ago, penned to come out next year, uh, the reason for showing it during that Sonic Central stri- livestream um, was to reassure fans that Sonic Force was to reassure fans that post-Sonic Forces, which was the prior entry in the in the franchise, that a new game is de- indeed in development. He says, quote, Since the title is in mid-development, there is nothing I can speak to, but I did want to say that the development team has been spending their time to do something new and challenging. Through a lot of trial and error, the team is looking to present to everyone a new Sonic game that can help you warm that, and I hope you can. I hope your warm support of their work can motivate them to really deliver against the challenge. This is a weird, super Japanese quote, and an interesting story nonetheless. Because I mean, normally, if it were a, a pretty busy news week, we wouldn't cover this. This would be something that I would gobble up and think about to myself, but be like, eh, it's maybe a little too nerdy and niche for the Xbox on audience since. Sonic isn't as big as it used to be, and let's face it, it's you know Xbox gamers aren't clamoring for Sonic; they're clamoring for fucking. Elden Ring, because you guys are a bunch of fucking nerds that want to go around George R.R. Martin's little Elfin Knights War realm, running up to girls with large bosoms and rubbing your face all over them, and and fighting dragons and eating rats to stay healthy and riding on the back of horses and fantasizing about living in 14th century Europe like a bunch of fucking idiots. That's what you like. That's okay. Teach their own. I just like a fun cartoon character that runs super fucking fast like Lightning McQueen, but. Teach his own. Anyway, yeah, but I mean that that the precedent for why we're talking about this is it's a slow news week, and you know Sonic is an important franchise, even if he hasn't been 
very beloved in recent history. So this is actually a big deal because I know a lot of people, especially in my age range, actually really like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, that end of the Dreamcast era, although I think most gamers sadly know it for its GameCube releases, not its Dreamcast releases. So, yeah, I mean, Sonic Adventure is an important game whether you like it or not. Because, I mean, everyone can pretty much agree whether they like Sonic or not that the original Sonic games were great. You know, Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic CD, Sonic 3... Um, but the 3D games are when people get shaky, and I think history has kind of looked back, and mostly the conversation is something to the effect of, oh, I like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 a lot, and then some people even like Sonic Heroes, and then everyone's like, from there, Sonic can go suck a dick. Like, those games fucking suck after that, and that's kind of most people's perception. I kind of take an opposite approach. I think the best 3D Sonic games are Sonic Unleashed, Sonic Colors, but that's just me. Anyway, so this is important because... Sonic's always struggled in the 3D space. It's not like Mario, a game that transitioned very, very well to 3D. Sonic's, you know, insistence and reliance on speed paired with platforming in a 3D environment is very hard to balance and get that right. Find a fun and enticing gameplay loop while also making it easy to control and manage with that camera and that speed and that environment. Um, It's a lot harder than 2D, which can sometimes just feel on rails or just easier to control the camera of. So the, that's kind of always been the challenge for Sonic is how do we approach this? And honestly, I would I, I think Takashi Izuki Izuka is actually kind of simplifying this a little bit too much because I would say whatever he's referring to is actually a third phase because with 3D Sonic games, we're in our second phase, I would say. Because the first phase was when they did Sonic Adventure, which is like fast, but kind of like sloppy fast. Like, like it feels almost like like fast walking less than less so than running where like there's it's still possible to like platform and jump and do precise things like that but but i mean you're not going like absurdly like blasting off the screen fast in those games for the most part whereas you know the second wave of what i consider to be the 3d era of sonic would be like your sonic forces your sonic colors games your sonic unleashed these are I'll put you on a little Sonic knowledge road trip. So the secondary team that makes Sonic games, you know, like they made like DS and Game Boy Advance Sonic games back in the day. They're called Dimps. Um, So Sonic Team is the developer that makes like the main Sonic games. And then Dimps would make like Sonic Advance for the Game Boy Advance or like Sonic Rush for the Nintendo DS or whatever. They came up with when they made Sonic Rush, this idea of the boost formula, which is what if Sonic had a boost gauge like in a racing game like where like you fill up your boost meter and then you can go extra super fucking fast. And it was an amazing idea because they implemented in their game Sonic Rush, which was a DS game. That's one of my favorite Sonic games of all time. It is flawless. It's a 2D Sonic game with a boost mechanic like in a racing game. It's phenomenal. And so Sonic Team took that and they said, well, what if we implemented this into like the mainline 3D games? And so when Sonic Unleashed came out in 2008, that was the first time they introduced what Sonic fans refer to as the boost games. Um, and so I would say that's kind of the second era of like Sonic gameplay is is once you get to Sonic Unleashed, starting with those boost formula games, which I think is the most fun Sonic because what they do is they they go into like a 2.5D kind of perspective when you're doing the tight platforming, but when you're doing the running and the sidestepping and the hitting enemies and shit, it's like full 3D, but you have a full boost gauge like in a goddamn Forza racing game or like a fucking Need for Speed racing game, and you just go full speed ahead, and the sense of speed is beyond amazing. It's fucking awesome so that's kind of and that and that up to today is kind of where we are with sonic so what he's alluding to is they're going to try to more or less recreate reinvent what a 3d sonic game looks and feels like and 
that's not a terrible idea because I think Sonic has so much stink on him to most gamers that if they really just laid low for a long time with Sonic and recreated it and did like a, a like a like a Zelda Breath of the Wild equivalency for Sonic, like just reinvent the the character and the franchise and represent the world as like here's the new Sonic game we've been working on. We haven't put one of these out in a very long time. Look how different it looks like from what you're used to seeing. It's a very different game. There's a lot of effort put into this. This is a new era for Sonic. Like, really drive that point home. I think that could be a really smart way to kind of get Sonic back into the into the good graces of the world again. But again, that only that only works if you know if your game's good. So you can't have some like Sonic Four, and that's and that's Sonic's problem. It's so sloppy. You'll get like Sonic Adventure One and Two, pretty good. Sonic Heroes. Pretty fucking sloppy and bad. And Sonic 06, which is the worst Sonic. Sonic Unleashed, which is pretty good. It's People are split on it. I think it's like the greatest game of all time. A lot of people think it's mediocre. Some people, you know, it's pretty split. Sonic Generations and Colors. A lot of people think those are pretty good, actually. Sonic Forces, which came after those. Right back to sucking. It's like, Sonic Team's weird. They'll put out like a good game, then a bad game, then a good game, then a mediocre game, then a bad game, then a bad game, then a great game. And they're just all over the place with that. So I think more than anything, more than just reinventing the formula, I think they really just need to get it right with a couple games. For a while there in the late 2000s, it felt like they were getting there. Like Sonic Unleashed, you know, as divided as people were with it, was a step in the right direction at the very least. It's kind of the consensus. Then Sonic Colors came out after that and people loved it. Then Sonic Generations came out and people loved it. And it was like, holy shit, I think Sonic's back. And that was everyone's reaction from like, from like 2009 to 2011 or 12. That was everyone's reaction was like, I think Sonic might actually be back. And then they came out with Forces and Lost World and all that. And everyone's like, nope, it was a fluke. They accidentally made a good game. And that was kind of the reaction. But again, like that's... <laughs> To make this good, I think it's smart for Sonic to kind of be like, well, let's try to reinvent it and rethink it. Because that's Sonic's big issue, right? Is this high-speed platformer doesn't translate well in the 3D space. And it's a problem like characters like Mario don't face because Mario's slow. So it's easier to do precise platforming because you're not going 150 miles an hour. You know, you're just trotting along like normal human pace. So yeah, you can jump on this platform and jump on that guy's head and wall jump off that. It's easy. You have the time to see what's ahead of you, what's around you, interact with the objects and the environment around you. Sonic's like a fucking racing game. It's like boom, 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 and you gotta think lightning fast. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss about Sonic is people think it's supposed to be like Mario, where it's like you walk around, explore the environment, and do this and that. It's like it's kind of more like a racing game where like it's like about trials. It's like yeah, the first time you play a Sonic level, you're supposed to be shitty at it. And then you kind of learn the paths, learn the levels, learn the enemy placement, learn where the ducks and the like like where where you're supposed to duck, where you're supposed to drift, where you're supposed to sidestep, where you're supposed to boost, what your direction you're supposed to shoot in. Like learn the map, and then the more trials, the more runs you get on the level, the better and better and better you get it, and you get you you gain that rhythm. And that's to me and a lot of people, that's the fun of Sonic. Is it's like it's like a blend of like a rhythm game with a racing game with a platformer game. Once you get all those things in tandem, that's what makes a good 3D Sonic game. But I don't think Sega even understands that fully sometimes, which is why they can be so inconsistent. And I think gamers definitely, uh, like non-Sonic fans a lot of times don't appreciate that. They just want it to be a fun platformer. And it's not easy to do with speed. So this is a good idea. I think they could really, they could really help Sonic a lot by laying low for a while. Sonic, the last Sonic game came out in 2017. So by the time this game comes out, you know, depending on if it actually makes a 2022 release date, this game will have been, you know, the... And the 
the time between Sonic releases will have been eh, five or six years. That's good. I think that's really good. You, you get a lot of time in between. You reinvent the wheel. You you show everyone this is the next generation of Sonic. We've worked out the kinks. We've reimagined the character. We've retooled everything. We fixed the problems, the complaints. This is Sonic. I think that's cool. If they can do that and they don't make Sonic too edgy like they used to do back in the day, if they can make it lighthearted and fun like a Saturday morning cartoon and make the controls work well and the physics work well and the camera work well and find a way to reinvent Sonic. a lot of people are saying they should do a like a quasi open world type thing I'm like eh, i don't really know how that fucking works in sonic but we'll see so it's a lot of a lot of promise a lot of hype here but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see uh I, i'd be excited for it because i love sonic now our next story again i'm not making this shit up it's a slow news week and this is the stuff that's in the news ign and maybe we'll just skim this because it's a pretty long interview i already tried to cut stuff but it's still pretty long IGN did an interview with uh, D- with <laughs> with Disney's like VP of uh, Disney and Pixar games. They had an interview, and they were talking about basically Disney IP and brands in gaming and kind of how that looks. Now, as you'll remember, obviously, when all of us were young and growing up, uh, Disney games were always like licensed tie-in cash grab bullshit. I actually have a fondness for that kind of stuff, but I know those games were largely trash, and people don't really miss it for the most part. But... Then Disney was doing a lot of in-house stuff for a long time in the mid to late 2000s and things like that. And then 2016, they, I know Sam Torres will know what I'm talking about, they they canceled Disney Infinity, they let go of all their studios, they disbanded everything, they got out of game publishing, and they said, we're, we're done with this. We're just licensing shit. And they completely pulled out. And then for a while there, it was like, okay, well, what does that mean for like Disney IP-related games? Especially in a world where... Disney IP isn't just Mickey Mouse and Buzz Lightyear. It, it, like Disney IP is also like Star Wars and Marvel and Avatar and all that shit. So it's like, okay, what does this mean going forward? And so that's what this kind of interview gets into. And I, I think this interview is actually like, like maybe four years too late. This would have been a much more interesting interview a few years ago. But nonetheless, there's some interesting stuff to glean on from here. So it, IGN's interview reads, quote, there was a time 10, 15 years ago where we were like, yeah, let's make a movie-based game. We know what that is. That's not. We're not going to do that anymore. Luigi Pryor has a very clear idea about what a Disney game is and isn't these days. The phrase licensed game comes with a built-in wince from players of a certain age, bringing in the mind of wonky re, uh, retelling of movie scripts to achieve uh, primarily through uh, bargain bucket action uh, mechanics. The VP of Disney and Pixar Gaming has a very different idea of what that term means in 2021 saying quote, our fans want new stories about the characters and the worlds that Disney creates. They want to play in those worlds. And that's also what we're going to deliver. turns out those fans can include those fans include very much the developers who make the games. Speaking with prior alongside senior VP of Walt Disney gaming, Sean uh, Shopta uh, at the tail end of E3 that Disney's had a repeated proof that Disney's had a repeatedly prove uh, the commitment to new gaming ideas and developers for its franchises. We saw this with the reveal of Ubisoft's massive open-world avatar frontiers of Pandora game that tells a new story in a new region of the movie's Pandora setting, made in conjunction with the creator James Cameron and production company Lightstorm Entertainment. We've seen A Pirate's Life, the deeply unexpected expansion that brings together Rare's Sea of Thieves with Pirates of the Caribbean, itself telling a brand new story on both sides of the world. There aren't many beginnings of a project for Disney. They're more proof of ongoing one earlier this year. We learned that Lucasfilm games, uh, had brought the brand back 
bringing with it an open world Star Wars game that's in development and a brand new Indiana Jones adventure promised from Machine Games owned by Bethesda and the promise of a return to Lucasfilm and LucasArts back catalog. While Disney's always taken this approach to some extent, Square Enix with Kingdom Hearts, EA with Jedi Fallen Order, blah, 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 these games show style. The last few months have seen Disney wholeheartedly commit to these ideas, but we ask at this point, why now? He says, I think the medium has demanded it, frankly. The game's medium has demanded that you come with stories that are unique to the medium and not retellings of things we might that might exist elsewhere. Also, and so certainly for us, the game's leadership side of things, we've been really, really focused on doing just that. What is more empowering is the best game developers and publishers in the world can tell unique stories with RIP. I think that we owe it to our consumers, and certainly from Disney's perspective, we feel that's going to deliver the highest quality product. And so I'll kind of leave it at that. It's a very long uh, interview. And basically, the gist of this interview is to say that basically, you know, now that Disney doesn't have a publishing arm, now that Disney doesn't own developers, now that Disney doesn't make and publish their own games like they did back in the day, you know, they they owned Avalanche Software, the, the guys that made Disney Infinity, and, and they owned, you know, a couple other teams, and they would commission other teams to make games, and and they own propaganda games and all these teams, you know, now that they don't have that anymore, they've disbanded these teams, they've sold off everything, they've they've gotten out of publishing. The story is, okay, so how do you address this? And well, I mean, we, you don't have to be a fucking rocket scientist or have a fucking IGN article to see what they've been doing. You know, since Disney Infinity's demise, since Disney got out of game publishing, we saw Battlefront 1 and 2 from EA, we've seen Jedi Fallen Order, we've seen Marvel's Spider-Man over on PlayStation, we've seen... Marvel Avengers from Square Enix. We've seen that Guardians of the Galaxy game that just got announced. We've seen this um, Avatar game coming um, that was actually announced before Disney bought Fox. That one's a little bit of a cheat. Uh, we know that this Indiana Jones game is coming from Machine Games. It will probably be an Xbox exclusive. We know that, uh, you know, Sea of Thieves just got this Pirates of the Caribbean DLC. So we, we, we know what that looks like. We know what's happening. We know Disney's licensing their properties. We know they're saying, you want to make a game? Money? Here's the rights to the property. But what this article basically, what this interview basically gets into is saying that it's not as simple as like Sony goes up to us and says, all right, how much for Spider-Man? And then we we name our price and then they buy it and then they can use that right, those rights to make video games. Or like Square Enix comes up to us and says, we will pay whatever it costs to make sure that no one else can make an Avengers game but us. He's saying basically what happens is it's a, you know, it's a, it's an ever evolving dynamic kind of series of conversations. It's, we we court the right person person or we had the right person come to us saying that, you know, before the situation used to be like, hey, we got this new Toy Story movie coming out. Who's the highest bidder? Who wants to work on the game? And a bunch of like C tier developers, churn and burn developers would be like, ooh, me, 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 me. And then a publisher like 2K or whatever would would throw the money at it and be like, hey, we got the licensing for the Toy Story 2 game. Who wants it? And then Traveler's Tale or whatever would be like, ooh, me. And then be like, cool, you make the Toy Story 2 game. And then, I don't know, who the, who the fuck made G-Force on Xbox 360? I don't, I don't even know. But you get the idea. Like, all these little cheap cash grabs. Like, no, one, no one's like, oh, I love Meet the Robinsons on Xbox 360. You know, it's like, no. No one plays that shit. No one likes that shit. It's cheap cash grabs. But, I mean, you've noticed. We've all noticed. It's, this is, it's not that new of a development. Again, that's why I mean by this article. It's like, 
couple years too late. It's like, yeah, like Spider-Man came out on PlayStation. It was an incredible exclusive made by one of the best and most highly regarded development teams in the world right now, Insomniac. So like, obviously something's changed. You know, you got machine games, the guys making those amazing Wolfenstein games, working on Indiana Jones games. Like, it's like, holy shit. Actually, not even Disney. Look at fucking WB with Batman. They didn't just make a cheap, shitty little Batman tie-in game that they could advertise on like uh, Cartoon Network. They made fucking... Batman Arkham Asylum, they got Rock City, a great developer to make an amazing Batman game that people love, that's like high quality shit. And it basically it's Disney's way of saying, we see the value in going after the original story, getting the right developer, the right publisher, the right talent to make the right product. Rather than we need a movie tying game to coincide with the launch of this movie this summer for the marketing money, you know, because that's basically what that stuff's about. It's like, oh, buy the Wally video game that comes out the same day that the movie comes to theaters. You know, the whole point of that is like, it's just more marketing. It's more ways to sell more merchandise, more games, get people to see the movie, get more people invested in the property, sell more merch. That's, that's the whole ideology behind that. But what they're saying now is it, it actually is more beneficial for them to take care of this. So like maybe, you know, for example, last year or two years ago, Toy Story 4 came out, right? There was no Toy Story 4, the video game. You can't like go on Xbox you can't go on your Xbox and go to the store and download Toy Story 4, the video game published by THQ. Like, it's not a thing. It didn't happen. Because the idea is like, well, no, we don't want to just make a Toy Story 4 video game to make one. If you really want to make those ch- cheap cash grabs, you can make a mobile app. You know, you can do like some mobile game or the way that inter- people are so connected with the internet these days. It's like you find other unique ways to market and tie to people and get their attention. But if you want to make a Toy Story game, you know, you get you know, you wait for someone to come to you and be like, Hey, we have this amazing idea for a toy story game. It's uh, it, it's canon. It's set in between the events of toy stories two and three. This is our synopsis this is what the game would be like. We're really passionate about this and blah, 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 blah. And like, that's kind of where the conversation begins is what they're getting at. And that's cool because we see that happen a lot with games like star Wars, right? Jedi fallen order. Like that game is canon. Disney counts as canon it takes place in between episodes, in between episodes three and four. And everyone gets excited about it. Cause it's like, it's an awesome fucking video game made with a lot of attention and care it has good writing, good acting, good gameplay, high budget, high polish, high quality game. It's not an embarrassment. You know, if you want to show someone like, yeah, video games are like a serious medium now. Like you can take this seriously. It's not this little kid jokey like play thing anymore. It's not like back in the day when you had these cheap little movie cash grab games. Like you show someone Jedi Fallen Order and you're like, see, this game is like well produced and well made and well acted and it's fun and it's challenging and it's rewarding and immersive. And someone's like, wow, you're wow, video games have really come a long way. And that that's what they want to do. They want Star Wars associated with that, Marvel associated with that, Disney games associated with that. And so I get what they're saying, but at the same time, I can't help but feel like it's kind of a cheap answer because it's, it feels like them more so following suit than spearheading because, like I said with Batman, like, that's not a Disney game, you know? WB has kind of the publishing rights with Batman, and I don't know what the story behind that is. I don't know if WB tasked someone with making it, but I believe it was Rocksteady wanting to make a Batman game. And, I mean, that was obviously big Batman fans with a passion for the character and the franchise who put a lot of effort into making an original story and an original game and that really served the character well. And it was a great game. And I, I, I credit Batman Arkham Asylum a lot with actually the kind of the advent of like these comic book and movie and TV characters turning into actual good standalone video games that are, you know, it's not a video game that exists to serve a movie. It is a video game 
that exists to serve itself based on a character or universe you may love from a TV show or a movie, right? So it's a kind of it's a different thing. But I kind of find it cheap on Disney's part to be saying that because it seems a lot more like them following suit with what others have done more than them having some epiphany on this is how it's done. Because to me, it seems what what would really seem authentic knowing Disney since, you know, Disney has that like they have that like Apple brand of like we care. Our brand is so important to us. Our image is so important to us. Apple doesn't say like, oh, we got tired of um make an Apple watch because it doesn't, or like MacBook doesn't sell that well. Like it sells well, but it's not like compared to like Windows PCs market, like Mac sells like shit, right? So you don't see Apple be like, oh, well, we still want to make the Mac, but you know, it's so much money for us to invest in these things and R&D just for them to ultimately sell significantly less than like Dell laptops. So, you know, we just license out the Mac um, IP and let some other manufacturer make Macs for us. It's like, that's lazy. And I, I, I still think it's kind of lazy that Disney does this. Disney doesn't go to other people and say, like, will you build a theme park for us? We're kind of lazy and we don't want to build our theme park. Oh, will you go and make the next, you know, will you go and make the next Star Wars movie for us? We don't really feel like it. Or who, like, uh, who's the highest bidder? Oh, it looks like a, it looks like fucking uh, New Line Cinema is going to make the next, um, Winnie the Pooh movie because they had a great they had a great idea for it and we just really love you know these creatives wanting to tell stories in our universes it's like no you don't do that with your movies you don't do that with you don't do that with your your other like avenues of entertainment so why should it be any different with video games I feel like if you're a brand that's all about the image it's all about the, your experience and your quality and your reputation I feel like you should take that in house right like you should you should put in the, you're, you're Disney you have fuck you money you have like I could run a country money. Like, don't don't fuck with me on this. Like, you could put together a good publishing arm. You could put together some really amazing talent and build a studio that is dedicated, you know, build a couple of studios. Like, build a Pixar studio, build a, a Disney studio, build a Star Wars studio, build a Marvel studio, but dedicated for video games. And then allow talent to come in and go and be like, we're the guys who are going to make the the Disney game, you know, the, the, the Star Wars game, right? And it's published by Disney and it's made by Disney's in-house development team. Like, you could do that. Like, Disney set the standard. Disney created the animation industry the way we know it, you know? And they created the theme park industry the way they we know it. And I can't help but feel like if the right people had been involved at the right time at the advent of like the video game industry that Disney may have had a similar approach to video games. It's one thing that's always really frustrated me as a big Disney fan and a big theme par- or uh, video game fan is that Disney has always had such a lazy half-ass hands-off cash grabby approach to gaming. And to me, this article kind of reads as like still having that approach, but trying to play it off as not having that approach. It's like, I'm sure like we're getting high quality games. Don't get me wrong. Like Jedi fallen order is a great game. I played it. I loved it. Um, Insomniac's Spider-Man game is phenomenal. I loved it so much. And the Miles Morales game as well. I love that one too. And this new Avatar game looks fantastic. And trust me, like there are plenty of great games coming out of this. You know, Disney not making their games in-house or publishing them and letting other people do it has led to some really phenomenal games. It just kind of saddens me that Disney has the money, has the influence, has the IP and the brand recognition, the power and all the ability to do so. They've just never made an aggressive, they've never made a truly all hands on deck, fully invested attempt at getting into the games industry. And it's like, they're an entertainment company, man. They make all the, when it comes to movies, they make all the money. 
Hollywood's right now imploding on itself. Studios are doing awful. That's why all they do is make shitty movies and shitty sequels to shitty movies and reboots of shitty movies. Is because movies fucking suck and Hollywood fucking sucks. And because no one wants to go see your stupid movie that you made that isn't good at all. And so you have to go fucking reboot Ghostbusters and you have to reboot fucking Bridge to Terabithia because no one gives a shit about anything you do anymore. Except for Disney. Disney puts out Avengers, Disney puts out Star Wars, Disney puts out Pixar, whatever it is. And everyone eats up everything Disney puts out because they consistently put out good shit. They're like the the, the spearhead, they are still spearheading the movies industry. They And they have been in so many ways for so long. And they've had their peaks and valleys, but like, they're such a strong player in that department. You look at theme parks, it's Disney. Disney's the king. Disney's the top dog. Like, no one does it like Disney. So it's like, if you're if you are the kings of the entertainment industry... And video games are such a massive segment of the entertainment industry that are exponentially growing like beyond belief in terms of revenue and profitability and just popularity. You would think Disney would be a little more eager to get involved with that. And I just find it so lazy that their approach is like, oh, well, you know, if some really creative uh, company wants to give us a lot of fucking money to use the Luke Skywalker license, we'll let them make a Star Wars game. It's like, that's a lazy response, man. That sounds like such a fucking practice PR shitty lazy response. Like, I want to see you be like, no, we defined what the theme park industry looks like. We defined what animated movies could be and that we proved their viability and we have dominated the family movie market for decades and decades at the box office. Like we own the characters, we've created the characters, we've made the stories that for years and years had defined American culture. So there's no reason why we can't be the ones to also be spearheaders or, or the big top dog in the video game space. But instead of even trying to do that, they're just like, yeah, give us money and we'll let you make another fucking Guardians of the Galaxy game. Like, eh, it just seems so lazy, so fucking shitty and half-assed. And that's not to say we're not getting good games. Like, I'm, I'm excited about a lot of these Disney licensed games that are in the works, you know? I'm, I'm excited for some of the... But the other, the other thing is, this approach that Disney's talking about, and if this is the way they're going to continue to go, that's great for Star Wars. That's great for Marvel. But notice how, like, ever since Disney stopped making games, you don't get the fucking Pixar game anymore. You don't get the Disney game. Like, like Raya and the Last Dragon just came out. It's a big family movie. I'm sure it did very well. Lots of kids seemed to like it. Lots of families enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. We're not going to get the fucking Raya and the Last Dragon video game. Listen, if I'm not saying a cheap cash grab movie tie-in game, but, like, that's a cool world with cool characters, and it's an animated movie, so it can translate very well, you know, to to video games because video games look really fucking good now. Look at Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. You don't think you can't make a beautiful looking Raya and the Last Dragon game? It's like, what a shame! Like Frozen's like the biggest shit in the world. You know, Toy Story's like the biggest animated thing in the world. Why doesn't if the approach is let the creative people come to us with the ideas and the money and the passion, the willingness to make this game, and then we'll allow them to use our property. That's great for star Wars in a games industry where everyone's a fucking nerd who wears their fucking glasses and talks about how last Jedi sucks and Ryan Johnson can go kill himself. That's great for them. Cause I'm sure everyone in the video games industry has an idea for a star Wars game. I'm sure everyone in the video games industry has an idea for a Spider-Man video game. That's, that's the low hanging fruit. And that's not to discredit insomniac for what a great game they made or to discredit other one, like respawn entertainment for what a great job they do with Jedi fallen order. That's I'm not trying to discredit any of those guys. They make great games, but like, Who's the guy who's out there with, like, the money and the passion, the idea for, like, the fucking, like, Moana video game or the or the Pixar's Cars racing game? It's like, well, no one. And without Disney having the interest in funding that shit, we just don't get it. And, 
man, I'm telling you, man, it's like there's potential for this stuff. These are big franchises, big properties. Like you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving potential on the table by just being like, eh, well, we don't really want to invest money in getting in on this. We can just make so much money by letting EA keep fucking sucking our dicks for the Star Wars license. It's like, okay, Disney, you do that. But don't don't try to play it off like you found the perfect solution to give players the perfect quality and to tell the best stories and to allow developers and creators and this whole like conflating the fans with the with the developers and the developers are the fans. It's like don't don't give me that PR bullshit. Like stop being lazy, roll up your fucking sleeves and get into this industry. You know you can. And that the few times and no disrespect to Avalanche Studios who made uh software rather who made um who made Disney Infinity, which was one of my favorite games, but like I'll be honest, you know, they're working on that new Hogwarts game now, and they've staffed up a lot since the Disney Infinity days, but, like, they were never a triple-A developer. I know that. They were, like, a, a B-minus or a C team. I love them to death. They're one of my favorite video game developers of all time. They made some of my favorite video games, but let's not lie. You know, they're no fucking Infinity War. They're no they're no Sony Santa Monica. They're no 343, you know? They, they don't make the top-tier games of the year with the best graphics and the most amazing you know, engines and all the fucking brain melting technology. Like, no, they make fun games. It's like, okay, that's great. But like Disney never tried to do that. Disney never tried to make a triple a Xbox exclusive quality type Disney game. They never did, but they're happy to just cuck out their IP to everyone else for money because they're cheap and lazy. So I don't know. I didn't, I didn't realize I had so much to say about that. I really thought that was going to be a quick one and done, but I should have known better. It had Disney in the title. Anyway, and to wrap up with our news, guys, we got a couple games coming and leaving Game Pass. I'll rattle them off. So rattle them off. Coming soon to Game Pass, uh, we got Worms Rumble, which is optimized for next for the new consoles. Comes out June 23rd, so it's out now. Iron Harvest is coming to PC as of the, the time this podcast goes live. Need for Speed Hot Pursuit Remastered is coming via EA Play on June 24th. Is Series X uh, optimized, and I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Uh, Proteus comes out uh, June 24th, and then on July 1st, we've got Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts coming to Game Pass, Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling, and Game Beast, oh, as well as Immortal Re- uh, Realms, Vampire Wars, and Limbo. I still need to play that game. I played Inside. I, I feel so bad I never played Limbo, but all those are coming July 1st. And then leaving Game Pass on June 30th, we got a handful leaving. we got Battle Chasers, Night War, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, Mistover, Monster Hunter World, out of the Park Baseball 21, Outer Wilds, Soul Calibur, and The Messenger. Ah, I really wanted to play The Messenger and Monster Hunter. Fuck me. And that does it for all of our news. But now for important enough news, the story is important enough to make the podcast, but not enough to warn their own discussion. We've got the Xbox rollout game story feature. So Xbox rolled out a new feature on the iOS and Android app that introduces game stories, which is basically Instagram or Snapchat stories, but for Xbox. It doesn't let players make their own stories, but allows like the games and the publishers or the developers to make their own stories. And then users can comment and share and everything on them. So that's cool. And then state of decay two just got a big new update called the plague territory, which adds lots of new uh, territory features like resource upgrades, landmark notifications, and for better loot and things like that. Also some bug fixes and things like that as well. Um, Minecraft just released a Sonic the Hedgehog DLC, which comes with like actual levels and lots of characters to play as it's 10 bucks it's a little 30th anniversary celebration for sonic in minecraft it's a fun little thing i've been playing it a little bit and then lastly this one's awesome um zombie army 4 dead war just got new dlc and with that dlc comes a free character pack and it is the four characters from the original left for dead 
Zoe, Bill, Francis, and Lewis. Um, so that's fucking awesome. He plays my favorite Left 4 Dead characters in Zombie Army 4. And that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. We're running pretty long, actually. I don't know how that happened. It always happens when it's a slow news week. I find a way to just get distracted. Um, but we'll skip the new game releases of the week just because we're kind of, you know, strapped for time now. The only big, real notable one is Scarlet Nexus comes out on Friday. That was one of my really highly anticipated games, but I guess I'm a little distracted now, so I don't, I don't know when I'm going to get around to that, but that's really the big release, Scarlet Nexus. Otherwise, it's kind of a slow post-E3 week otherwise. And as a reminder for your games of gold, guys, you got a couple more days to get the Kingsbird that's available till June 30th. Until July 15th, you've got Shadow Awakening, and then you've got Injustice Gods Among Us until the 30th. So download those games now while you still can. And that's going to do it for our podcast, guys. Thank you for staying with us. Wes, remember, you got to apologize to Mojo. I'm keep. I'm, hey, I see you there. Stop giggling. You're not being cute. You got to say sorry. Okay, loser? Ha. Huh. See, I can say it. There's a double standard. All right, guys. Power your dreams.